Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture peaceling. After an unintentional delay, Graham McMillan and I are back with episode 145, a two-hour-plus podcast triathlon in the fields of movies, comics, and nerd talk. Topics today include non-ironic fun comics, the works of Kyle Baker, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie trailer, the movie Prometheus, the Titan storyline from 2000 AD, a 25-issue takedown of the Avengers by Stan Lee, Don Heck, Roy Thomas, and John Basima, and our usual roundup of the much, much more. Show notes are now available at savagecritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy and thank you for listening. Graham Jeff Lester. Hey. How good to hey, see are you? Are we recording? Thank you for asking. Yes, we are. Hooray. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, closing the blinds so as not to blind you with the, the light. Double hooray. That's great. Hello. Hello, Hello Jeff Lester. Hello. I know. It seems like it's been forever since we've talked. And it's going to it seem It really does, like, right? Yeah. And it's going to seem twice that long. For the people listening to us, since they didn't get to hear our last conversation, because <laughs> I'm kind of an Wait, idiot. But you know what's great? I realized after that whole thing happened, yes. that like the last missing episode of Wait What, the, like the last one we were, that didn't record, um, was another one where we were saying like all sort of controversial shit that would have got us in trouble. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like this happens to save us from ourselves. <laughs> That is my current theory as well, I have to admit. In fact, let me make sure... Yep, I'm recording, so... Okay, so we say say boring stuff. So yeah, listeners, uh, what you missed last time, amongst other things, was Jeff and I talking about um, Chris Claremont and Adam Warren and bondage and power exchange for like half an hour. Yeah. It was nuts. That's right. I totally forgot about that aspect of things. I was totally like, yeah, I mean, because, you know, we should sort of run down very quickly. If nothing else, I feel like some of the comics we talked about, you know. Uh, We talked about Loki. We talked about Ms. Marvel. We talked about... Yes, but you should give us a one-sentence summary, since you were the guy oh, who read this. Uh, Loki and Miss Marvel, I both liked. Uh, mm-hmm. I both liked more than I expected, and I'd expected to like them. Yes. I thought Miss Marvel in particular was a spectacularly good first issue, and a very Marvel first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about Judge Dredd, which you had read and I hadn't at the time. Yes. Um, which you were not so great a fan of. The second issue of the Judge Dredd... Um, uh, Meg City Two storyline. That's right. That's right. At the you time, were, I said that it, it was it was my it was one of the best comics that I didn't that I'd ever read without necessarily liking. Or maybe I said that I liked it a lot despite thinking that it was not. Uh, it I didn't think that it was particularly good as a comic. That I felt there were no. Problems. You you said you said the first. You were definitely ambivalent about it. Oh, uh, okay. Definitely okay. Yeah. The, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, lines. Right. What what other comics were we actually talking about last time? Well, I'm trying to think because oh, because I talked about Empowered Volume Eight, which was what yes, led us which, into yes. Chris Claremont. And Empowered and Volume Eight was the one where you were like, maybe this isn't working for me. It was your it was your yeah. every second volume of Empowered. You decide you don't like it anymore, and yeah. then the next one you'll get back on board. And this is you're on your off season. Yes, this was definitely an off season volume for me, where he has a, a very sort of ambitious but also sort of very loosey-goosey structure to to Empowered Volume 8. I didn't feel that it worked for me, and I also felt that the, uh, yeah, I just felt that the payoffs, such as they were, didn't didn't really um, 
they were structured in such a way that Empowered was gone for most of the volume, and uh, that didn't work for me as much. So Yeah, you, you want Empowered to be there. The yeah. series is theoretically about her. Exactly. Exactly. And then I'm trying to think of... I think while well, I read the Judge Dread, I think there was something else I read digitally that I don't remember, but but that you didn't like. It was your it was your week of not liking things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was very I was I was very nego. Um, so we'll see what happens this week. <laughs> nego is that what we're talking about? Is that how it's, we say it now? Yeah, that's nego. I, that's how all the cool kids are saying it. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, Just, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, well, it's, well, it's, now I know. I didn't. I'm not done with the cool kids. Yeah, you know, it's it's tough. It's you know, you look at me, and of course I am. So, I mean, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> What's great is, unintentionally, when you're saying that, you're actually just indicating your beard every single time. That that, that wasn't unintentional. That was completely intentional. <laughs> oh, God. oh, that's good. I was like... <laughs> Is he trying to? Because you know the hipster beard thing. I can totally see it. This is beyond the hipster beard. This is just crazy oh, no, man beard. That, yeah, that's that's Alan Moore beard at this point. This is this is this is the only way I've heard it referred to is Alan Moore beard by just about everybody. So I have to ask: Are you going to trim it at any points in your life? I don't know. Really? Maybe. Are you just going to keep going? Yeah, I'm going to try at some yeah. point. What's amazing to me is that it keeps growing. Yeah, I had a beard. Too. I had a beard for a few years mm-hmm. when I was younger, when I also had hair, um, <laughs> and my beard just stopped like really quickly. I had a really close beard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't grow out like yours at all, and so it's it's kind of amazing to me that your beard is as massive as it is. It's voluminous. Like, it's a voluminous. I was going beard. to say voluminous, and then I. I Second guess myself. I was like, because it got voluminous and voluptuous mixed up. In <laughs> and I was like, one of these I don't want to call Jeff's beard, and I'm not sure which one it is. And and you're right, voluminous was not. You were going for voluptuous, is what you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. Well played, Jeff Lester. Uh, but no, I I really am kind of like, wow, that your beard is is continually growing. Yeah. I, honestly, I I had a beard for two three years and it, it just stayed really close really it was like yeah it got it got i mean it looked like a trimmed beard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. it just it gave up it was like yep <laughs> i've done my beard judy i'm done no no more well like, i never needed to trim it jeff that's the thing i know that's amazing I had it for years <sighs> that's that's well, Graham, what can I say? I think that that is entirely commendable. I honestly have fantasies of growing this thing down to my belly button, but I sort of feel, and this is weird. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that's going to work. You're too frizzy. You've got too yeah. much volume there. You really do. Exactly. It's not going to grow down to your belly button. It's going to just grow out. It's true. It's totally true. I look like I've got like two cats strapped to my chin when I walk around now, and it's not – it used to just be <laughs> like about hipster cat. things. <laughs> <laughs> the cat strap. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's true. That is a very successful uh, hipster element. Anyway, we'll see. I keep saying, yeah, I'm just going to keep letting it go. But I also have fantasies now about shaving it off. But I'm sort of like, no, the, the time's not right. You know, there's like, oh, Jeff, sh- shave off in the summer. Don't shave off in the winter. Well, yeah, no, exactly. If you're going to get rid of it, wait until it's warm. Well, this is San Francisco, Graham. So this is warm. You know, it's no. You get warmer. Maybe you get, you get like two or three weeks in the summer where it's actually nice. Yeah, I suppose. But we're getting that now. Let me tell you, like this. This oh, is really. This, yeah, it's like sunny and sixty-five out here right oh, now. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> 
That's Fuck right. you. We had like two days of rain and then just gorgeous weather. So yeah. I now do you remember when we spoke in the last podcast, which didn't regard the snow was starting? Yes. Yeah. In fact, you saw this. I saw the snow. It was so large. It was behind you, like like a but special I, but effect. I said, mm-hmm. But then I sent you the photograph a couple of days later. Yes. On. Yeah. It terrified me. Snow. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, listeners, in case you don't know, Jeff is actually afraid of the snow. This is not, uh, this is not put on. Jeff is genuinely afraid of the, of the snow. Um, I prefer yeah. snow-a-phobe. It's a made-up term, but at least it sounds a little less... Snowphobe. Yeah, snowphobe. You know, it just it sounds uh, a little less frady caddish. Anyway. But yeah, it, it, but it, it got really, really bad here. Mm-hmm. And then it, it had its day of... So it snowed for three days. Right. And then... It, what just happened there? You Wait. made a crazy noise, Jeff. <laughs> Did I? Sorry. Yeah, it was like some sort of weird time travel noise, like sound effect from Doctor Who in the 60s. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. it snowed here for three days. Uh, and then on the end of the third day, it was like, fuck it. I'm just going to start raining. It was still sub-zero. It was just like, I'm just going to rain. Holy and shit. And then that froze and it turned into ice <sighs> for like a day. Christ. To the point where like you'd go out and you'd be like... I'm going to walk to our next door neighbor. No, you're going to crunch through ice and then frozen snow that would just, like, collapse like in a cartoon. Hilariously, it would, it would be absolutely nuts. You'd just go straight through it. Um, and then after that, it was like, now I'm just going to be slush for a couple of days. Hope you don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had some crazy-ass weather since I last spoke to you. Wow. Wow. That is, that is a stunner. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, you know, so yeah, fuck you with your good weather, Jeff. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I think I thank you for staying on point. Cause I'm like, what was the important point that we were supposed to draw? Yeah, I, was, this? I was like, where did we come from with this? What, where, where did we start with? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, hey, so, so Jeff, I have yes. a question for you. Yes. Okay. I was rereading, uh, the best of Milligan and McCarthy last night. Mm-hmm. I've actually been rereading lots of things recently that I haven't read in a long time, and it's it's been very rewarding. Rereading Milligan McCarthy last night, and I was thinking, are we somehow past the point of non-ironic fun comics? There's a weird sincerity about Milligan and McCarthy's comics. Uh-huh. That today, when you have a fun comic, I always feel like there's always at some point where like, it'll wink at the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, aren't we having fun? <laughs> and when you think that Milligan and McCarthy come across as more sincere than today's fun comics, then something's gone weird. Because Milligan and McCarthy were anything but sincere. I was about to say, they were, yeah. They were arch. Mm-hmm. Like, they were purposefully arch. Right. And yet, reading something like Sooner or Later or Freak Wave seems more honest in a weird way mm-hmm. than, like, today's, you know... Wacky Japes comics. Uh, is 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 it me being like? Am I completely reading into that? Are are there lots of fun comics today that are genuinely fun and self aware without being winking at the reader too much? Or it is has something has something gone wrong? I, I, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a, it's a tough question. I have to warn you for whatever reason. I ended up getting coming onto this call realizing like I was. 
crazily behind because I was like uh, I got uh, sidetracked by a, a, a conversation that went super long so I'm like trying to like read 9 million Avengers comics at the last minute and wanted to take notes and grabbing <laughs> oh the pile God. of comics oh, that I oh, read you and me have got to talk about Avengers comics yes. by the way yeah, yeah, yeah. yes we definitely do yeah. holy oh crap my God. yeah exactly um, but so I'm trying to get all this shit together and I'm just like I just was not uh, I don't. I don't. Have, like, I, have I thrown you a subject that you're not equipped to deal with right now? Well, so uh, you're just going to have to let me stumble into it because I do feel it, it seems to me, without considering the the uh, without considering the second half of your question too deeply, it does seem to me very the the Occam's razor answer would be that because you're rereading these comics, the archness is kind of evaporated you know it's almost Doubled. like yeah. yeah exactly and so you can actually see the all the youth insincerity and enthusiasm that they were sort of cl- cleverly trying to hide is actually pretty transparent now you know it's, it's, yeah maybe that's it i don't know uh, amongst the other things i've been rereading i reread all of archer and armstrong the, the mm. current series, right? Now, which I really like, and yes. I in rereading, I realized I liked it more than I thought. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like I all along have been like, it's a fun book, and then when I was rereading it, you know, in a chunk, yeah, in like you know, I'm going to reread 19 issues at once or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really was like, oh, this is actually much sharper and much better paced mm-hmm. and much better than I remembered it being. Right, like there's there's much more of a through line here. I'm really appreciating it, mm-hmm. but it does seem very arch. And then I was like, I'm going to read Quantum of Woody, the new series. Which is insanely arch and winking at the audience. Like right. that, that comic exists as an ironic, hey, we're ripping off Priest and Bright, but you know, it's okay, wink. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's it's it was this weird thing and I also read um Kyle Baker's Cowboy Wally and Why I Hate Saturn and Ooh. You're Here, all of which are great and I'd forgotten just how good they all are. Mm-hmm. They are all Amazing and and three books that I, or one of those everyone should read these right like they are that good they're 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 in the canon of books that everyone should read. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read uh, oh God what's it called the one that came after that his anthology of of shorts for Vertigo something genie irrelevant genie oh I didn't something read that died, genie. Uh, what I was going to say is it's terrible oh. <laughs> um, well, you know, I have to say, I was going to hold my tongue, but um, under it's called Undercover Genie. Undercover Genie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. And it, it's it's terrible. It's an anthology of. It's literally a. I have one book left in my deal. I'm literally going to throw lots of shit in a book. Right. They're, they're, it, it's appalling. An editor should have come in at some point and been like, "No, <laughs> just no, just stop." Huh. It is the most half-assed collection. You can imagine. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, Baker is really kind of an interesting character for me in that regard because there's so much stuff that he puts so much um, love and effort and just, I don't know. It, like, I always feel like he's 50% hardest working man in show business and 50% complete fuck off. You know? Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, tell, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You can never tell which you're going to get, mm-hmm. but also. You can easily tell when you're reading it whether he gave a shit or not. Yeah, totally. 
It's totally. such a difference. But in a weird way, he is both very professional and entirely unprofessional. Exactly. Because when he's hacking out, you can tell he's hacking out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. He's, he's got a work ethic as in, like, I have to do this. I have to do this. You know, I have to keep my name out there. I have to do things that are popular. Yeah. But he has no work ethic in terms of, like, disguising when he is disinterested in a project. I think I think that's true, although part of it may be, as I've learned, where my tastes and, and Baker's tastes uh, uh, overlap is a much more slender Venn diagram than I would like, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I adore why I hate Saturn. And I think that that is absolutely like, I haven't read it in a while. I suspect it, it hasn't aged um, oh, as it's, well. It's very, so it hasn't, it's very 1980s. Yeah. Cowboy but, Wally too. Cowboy Wally is very much of its time. Mm-hmm. Like, Cowboy Wally is just so fucking funny though. See, I have to revisit it because at the time I was like, ah, it's okay. I mean, and at the time, I mean, I don't think I, I read it when it first came out. But, you know, when it came out to much hullabaloo, like, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I was like, okay, I'm on it. And uh, and then um, I Die at Midnight or whatever is because he's working with so many – he's really trying to do the new media thing. I was like mm-hmm. – I was kind of like, well, this is great, but this isn't really what I want from him. So, which isn't fair because it's fantastic, I, but it's yeah, not what I want. Well, are you talking mm-hmm. I Die at Midnight or You're Here? Because they're two different books. And oh, I Die shit. at Midnight is the I Die at Midnight is the one where the man thinks his girlfriend has left him and he takes pills to kill himself, and then his girlfriend comes to the door after he's taken the overdose, and he has until midnight before he dies to find a cure. Okay, and you're you're here is the one where he's an artist who's been living in upstate New York, and he returns to the city, where it turns out he's a thief, and it must be you are here. And Robert yeah. Mitchum is like the yes, evil. Robert, yeah, Robert yeah. Mitchum okay. is the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it. You are here, which half of which I adored in terms of being just absolutely top notch cartooning and kind mm-hmm. of like high paced farce, but at the same point, I also felt like there was just something so kind of hollow in it for whatever reason. So, I mean, the thing is, is I think you and I have different reactions to Baker when you're like, oh yeah, I can tell when he's hacking it out when he's not. And I'm like, I'll look and on the same page, I get confused. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, part of me thinks you should read I Die Midnight then where it's almost as if he ran out, like he didn't understand his deadline Uh huh. because you see him basically change from you know, the Jack Davis influence style that he used in your here. Right. To something much fucking sketchier halfway through the book. Wow. Yeah. Honestly honestly as in he's like, I've just gotta finish this shit. Right. And he and it really changes to like, you know, here are lots of, you know CGI'd backgrounds, here are lots of, you know, things and it just takes over the book by the end of my Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of feel that that's yeah, that that would be interesting thing. Because I remember with You Are Here feeling like yeah, that it was just he was trying to integrate a lot of computer work and a lot of his line work and trying you know. I think I think you should revisit all of them, if only because I felt that about you here as well until I reread it, oh, and all throughout it, I was like, "Oh, this is actually much better than I remembered." Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. much less of this the computer work mm. than I remembered. Interesting. Okay. Um, whereas I Die Midnight is really like he really does halfway through. It's just like, "Oh fuck, I've got to finish this book." Oh Jesus! Crack <laughs> it out! Crack it out! Crack it out! But no, I, um, Cowboy Wally. Cowboy Wally, I, I'd forgotten, was so funny and is so. Um, 
Kate and I make jokes about New York sense of humor, mm-hmm. which is completely unfair, seeing as neither of us come from New York. Uh, and we, we do it because there's a sense of humor which is really sort of um, shameless in going for the punchline, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you almost feel like you get to the punchline, you're like, ba-dum-bum! Bum. Yeah. And Cowboy Wally is just that book. Cowboy Wally is, he never fucking misses up the chance. It's a really obvious joke that you feel like should be followed by someone on the drums. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and there's just something about that that I really, really appreciated. It is, again, another book that really could have done with an editor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, if only because it's, I don't know if you remember, it's split into sections. Yes. Uh, and the section in the prison goes on like almost twice the length of the rest of the book. <laughs> and doesn't deserve it at all. <laughs> um... But no, it's, it's just, it's very, very funny. Why I Hate Saturn is probably his best work. Mm-hmm. It's the one where everything comes together the best, I think. Right. Well, it's, it's one of the things that I think is really interesting is that it was, Why I Hate Saturn was such a bolt out of the blue and, and it's the sort of thing that most people would happily sort of go down that path I guess forever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. none of his projects, none of his projects feel like why I hate Saturn two, which I always find fascinating. And like yeah. most of them, he, don't... he did it. What's really interesting is in Undercover Genie, mm-hmm. there's three different shorts that feel very much like either created before why I hate Saturn getting there, mm-hmm. or him coming off that. Well, I do remember he had something, and I I want to say it might have been using the "You Are Here." Name. Maybe it was some of his strips in Instant Piano. I don't know if you remember Instant Piano. No, yeah, a, a lot of Undercover uh, Genie comes from Instant Piano. Okay, yeah, it, it, when you're talking about it, it makes yeah. sense, yeah. So some of the stuff in, in, uh, in Instant Piano, I remember, had a kind of, oh yeah, I'm going to do this sort of similar kind of almost observational humor with like a, a weird extra twist in it. Um, yeah. And then he's at a certain point. I think he just got. It's. I always have to give him credit for in that sense of you always get the sense he's following his own muse, even if that muse is the paycheck. But most of the time, it's just like, nah. I did the observational thing. I really want to get back to, like you said, that that amazing gift for like Jack Davis style caricature, where he's really trying to to capture the caricature and. At a stage that's much looser. I mean, when you look at his early work, it's really crazily tight, you know? Yes. Yeah. He, he had a really, really, really tight. I mean, Cowboy Wally is as mm-hmm. well. Cowboy Wally is a very, very, very controlled, very tight line. Absolutely. And then, and then, so to see him go, ah, now something looser. And then, eh, maybe something looser. It's just like, wow, it's amazing seeing somebody chase that i guess because i feel like that is the sort of thing that you see cartoonists do over the course of you know four or five decades not over the course of like one and a half four or five years yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah you know yeah so but what's it's funny because i've been in this like baker hole um and i realized i no longer have my favorite kyle baker comic anymore because mm-hmm. he did the short for do you remember piranha press yeah yeah he's like first attempt at, at major readers yes he did the short for the for one of their anthologies called lester fenton and the walking dead oh wow which is uh kyle baker doing zombies mm-hmm. 
in a very you are here why I hate Saturn like very aware of the tropes yes. but also just wanting to go out and make fun of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's only like eight pages and it's fucking hilarious it's one of those things where you're like someone should have made a TV show about this right if you could have kept this up this would be the greatest funniest TV show ever right um, and I no longer have it so I, I've got to at some point look, go online huh. and try and find it but they didn't throw that in Undercover Genie or anything huh no wow no. annoyingly I don't think it's ever been reprinted wow that's and it's wild. a shame but I mean there's a shit ton of stuff from Prana Press that was great. Like, yeah. there's a Grant Morrison, Dave McKean short that I don't think has ever been reprinted anywhere. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And again, you're talking like 91, 92? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you Seriously. know, the fresh off of Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you think that would have shown up in one of DC's many, like, we're just throwing out anthologies with no fucking idea. But yeah, it, it's never been reprinted. Well, probably because the rights... You hope, in a perfect world, the rights reverted to the artists, you know? Um, it's DC, so who can tell? Well, because it was Piranha well, actually, at this point, yeah, it's also, at this point, that stuff's been out of print for decades. Yeah, so, see, so, and yeah, I mean, there is, there's, the, some of the Piranha Press stuff has gotten republished under other publishers, right? I mean... Mo- mostly, mostly Vertigo, yeah. Oh, that's true. Oh, Maybe no, they no, have no, a first no, you're, refusal. But you're totally right because um, Epicurious the Sage yes has came out come out through someone else as well hasn't it Didn't yeah it through? IDW it IDW or Image you're going to Google yeah. it now for us I'm tough I will not be fast and I also <laughs> I also want to say one of the one of the more basic crime comics came out <laughs> and of course um, well I guess Vertigo was of course the uh, Road to Perdition and the various sequels and stuff right. Because that was originally I, under Piranha Press too, right? Epicurious the Sage was actually reprinted by Wildstorm. Wow. Huh. So there you go. Um, let's see. Can I look up Piranha? I can't. Wikipedia, do you not even have a Piranha <laughs> Press page? You do. So we can see what else they did and if anything reappeared from anywhere else. Uh, beautiful stories for ugly children. Wow. Remember that? I That's do a- love those. Uh, those why aren't those being reprinted? Because I remember those were incredibly, like they may not have aged it ran well, for a long time. Fantastic, thirty-two, yeah. 32 issues. Jeez, thirty-two issues. Yeah, I mean it was one of those Holy things crap. where I I adored that for the first eight. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, how about, I said you're like I'm done. Well, it's just it was fine, but it was just kind of. It got to be the same. It felt like the same thing over and over again, of course. Yes. Oh, man. Do you know what else Pute Piranha did? What? <clears throat> that I had entirely forgotten. The Two Prince comics. <gasps> oh. I had entirely forgotten about them. And do you know who did the first of them? It's an amazing creative team. Uh, shit. Isn't it like Dwayne McDuckfee and Bill Sienkiewicz yep. and Dennis no, Cowan Dwayne or McDuffie, somebody? Dennis Cowan and Ken Williams. That's a fucking amazing creative team. Wow. It's called Alter Ego from 1991. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks, by the way, as if none of the stuff has been reprinted by anyone outside of DC. Yeah. There's got to be some weird, weird thing going on there, which is what a shame. You know, what a shame. Yeah, because there's a great, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff there. I would actually, I would love to, a Wasteland, uh, reprint, a reprinting. Yeah, wasteland. I, I can't believe that no one has tried to reprint Wasteland. Because Wasteland had some amazing stuff in it. And it feels, I feel like lots of people have talked about Wasteland recently. Maybe, maybe. It seems like it's, it's sort of, I don't feel like as many people talked about it as, say, when people were talking about Thriller. 
like there was that period of no, time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I remember when everyone was like, Thriller was the greatest comic that no one remembers. And you're like, no, lots of people remember Thriller. Exactly. By the fact that all of you are talking about it. <laughs> exactly. I, I do love those. I always love those. They're like, this is the show that nobody's watching. And it's like, well, clearly you are because I've seen seven fucking things. Exactly. Well, you know, such is the brilliance of the bleeding edge. You've got to be not watching it, but enough watching. So, by the way, for people who hit the quarter bins who, who don't know what we're talking about, who like very weird off-the-cuff stuff, Wasteland was an anthology that ran, I don't know, nine or ten issues, but an anthology where the writers – were the same. It was the team of Del Close and John Ostrander. So you've got Ostrander kind of in all of his like mid eighties, late eighties glory working with Del Close who. Oh yeah. It, it was Ostrander being weird. It was yes. Ostrander indulging his weirdness and Del Close just pushing him on. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. Exactly. Cause that apparently what is the very definition of Del Close's career apparently is he was one of the first big improv teachers yeah, and what's so funny for me is like Del Close. I know through Wasteland. I, uh, Wasteland, by the way, apparently lasted eighteen issues. Eighteen? Jesus Christ! Yeah, okay. from from uh, nineteen eighty seven through nineteen eighty nine. Uh-huh. But I remember reading Wasteland when I was, I guess, I would have been twelve and thirteen. Right. Um, and so Del Close for me is the guy who ruled Wasteland. And then mm-hmm. finding out, like Del Close did all these other things. Like I remember listening to. Amy Poehler and Tina Fey give an interview and they're like, yeah, and we got to meet Del Close. And I was like, holy shit, you know who Del Close is? Yeah. He's the guy who wrote Wasteland. And they're like, he was like the greatest improv teacher that's ever lived. Exactly. And it was, it was really a, really? Yeah. Wow. Moment. Yeah. They sort of mention it halfway, like what an incredibly humble guy. Cause they sort of half mention it in passing during Wasteland. At, like in but one of the letters yeah, pages. It's amazing. I'm but, looking at his Wikipedia page now. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you seen what he did, Jeff? I, 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 it's been a while, but I mean, he was he, basically he John Belushi's mentor. Uh huh. He toured with the Merry Pranksters. He created light images for Grateful Dead shows in the 60s. Good Christ. Uh, he then performed and directed the Second City in uh, the 70s. Mm-hmm. Then served as house metaphysician <laughs> in Saturday Night Live when oh, he I started. Oh, I that. That's right. And then went on to teach improv in the late 80s and write Wasteland. Yeah. yeah. And he died in 1999, five days for his sixth, fifth birthday. Yeah. An amazing Oh, dude. my God. In his will, he bequeathed his skull to the Goodman Theatre to be used in his productions of Hamlet and specified that he be duly credited in the program as portraying Yorick. Notable students of Del Close. Yes. Dan Aykroyd, John, James Belushi, John Belushi. Mm-hmm. John Candy, Stephen Colbert, Andy Dick, Rachel Drash, Chris Farley, John Favreau, Tina Fey. Oh my god, there's thousands of them. Yeah. Shelley Long, Adam McKay, Tim Meadows, Bill Murray, Joel Murray, Mike Myers, Bob Odenkirk, Amy yeah. Poehler, Gilda Radner, Howard Ramos, and this is me skipping people, Andy Richter, uh, Amy Sedaris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, holy, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. And so for me, he was the guy who wrote this comic. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I got to know him. And hearing he was so huge after that. So it was the same group of artists uh, in Wasteland. It was what? David Lloyd and uh, Don Simpson uh, and – Don Simpson, David Lloyd, uh, Bill Lopes himself. Yes. William Messner Lopes. William Messner Lopes. 
And this was at the time that he was also writing Flash, and my brain could not put that together. That the guy who wrote Flash also drew like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, George Freeman, whose stuff I always loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's those guys, they're, they basically come back, you know, each of them does a, a you know, four-page, five-page, seven-page story every issue, and then they're back and do more. And so it's it's a weird mix of, you know... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because even though sometimes it could be very funny, a lot of the times it was just amazingly weird. It was very much like a very '80s version of an EC comic in some ways, and I really did adore it. So those are other it, yeah, books. That it, 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 was, it was amazing. I, I, that's got to be creator-owned, right? I would think, but that's the thing. I don't even think that that was published by Vertigo. I think that was strictly published by DC. That was DC. Exactly. So I don't. I can't imagine what the rights are on that. And and I'm sure if we Google, I'm sure John Ostrander, someone has asked John Ostrander about it. But I, I don't. Yeah, I just, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see a collection of that. If you could oh, just God. give me a like a, um, like an essentials or a showcase collection of it, like the black and white phone book. Yeah. With the whole series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. It's true. Although I remember the colors being good. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh my God. Yeah, David Lloyd doing some amazing stuff then too. Yeah, anyway. Um, well, let's go. This all started with me being like, hey, sincerity, like archness. And then we ended up being like, so we've reread all these 80s comics and they're great. 80s comics were great. 80s comics rule. <laughs> the stuff text of things. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I kind of feel like I think that there is, although it's hard for me to f- – to really seize on it, I think there are a lot of comics that are trying to just be fun comics without doing the the wink and the nudge. I, I think, um, but I'm totally drawing a blank as to what they actually <laughs> That's are. just it, and I don't, I don't even mean it as a criticism, right? For, so for me, like Zombo would come under the ones that give the wink and the nudge, and I love Zombo. Yes, I love Zombo, right? To a ridiculous extent, yeah. But it's there's there's a, a self awareness and almost an apologetic thing mm-hmm. about about being fun in there that I feel is missing from the the Milligan and McCarthy stuff. Well, but I mean, and, and it's, I, I, a lot of it is also romanticizing the past. Yeah, like, I, I, I remember think there's a little Blue bit of Devil. That. I remember. <laughs> all, you know what I mean, right. I remember all these comics that were fun when I was growing up, and they were just fun. Well, and, you know, Blue you know, Devil is a great example of that, actually, because of course, uh, you know, our our buddy Matt Maxwell at the drop of a uh, dime will rhapsodize about the original Blue Devil books. You know, I mean, did you read them? I didn't actually. So, which oh, is one of those you, things you missed out. Blue yeah. Devil was a very, very good series, right. and uh, in particular, you need to search out the one Blue Devil annual they ever published, which I think wasn't even called an annual. I think it was called Blue Devil Summer Fun Special. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is Blue Devil, and he's in a team, and the team is the Phantom Stranger, the Black Orchids, the Demon, and maybe Zatanna? Mm-hmm. Madame Zanadu's in there as well. And it is essentially like, it's just Sleek Dark, like 30 yes. years earlier, but making fun of the concept about how ridiculous it is that all these guys would work together, basically. Right, right. And it's just a very, very funny comic. Yeah. Yeah, so I sort of feel like, okay, a good example is, like, I think Bandette is just a purely fun comic, you know? But I don't know, is it Arch? Like, I mean, it's clearly having... it. I, I feel like 
it's impossible for us to not know that we're being absurd. You know what I mean? But yeah. I don't feel like Bandette, actually. Yeah, it, yeah. interestingly enough, when you said Bandette, my first thought was, oh, you're, you've defeated me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, like Bandette Band- Band- is a great counterexample. Mm-hmm. Bandette really is a comic that's just like, hey. Right. You know, this is what I am. Deal with it. As opposed to, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sorry for being fun. Right, exactly. Guys. <laughs> what I really want is a series on HBO, okay? Like, I really... <laughs> I would love a Bandette series on HBO. Holy shit, oh, would that not be great? <laughs> that would actually be the best. I think that would be amazing. Um, okay, HBO executive who listens to this, because, you know, what are the odds? Sure. Bandette, option Bandette. Give yeah. Paul and Colleen a metric shit ton of money. <laughs> Yeah, that would be kind of awesome. Oh, so did okay. I say Colette? Did I say Colette instead of Colleen? No, I think I you said Colleen. Maybe you did say Colleen. I am honestly having one of those days. I'm having one of those weeks where my brain is roughly two weeks behind the rest of me. Well, so this is the thing. We should talk about some of our two-week-old comics because. Uh, well, okay. So here, let's do some softballs here. Let's talk so- briefly. Softballs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure you've already written 40,000 words about the Guardians of the Galaxy, Graham. Oh, Jeff, you don't know how close the truth that actually is. <laughs> um, I will say, genuinely, I've probably written over 30,000. I, I, okay. I, I have to admit, I know this because right before we started podcasting, I had the awesome moment of having I was talking with Edie. She had on one of her breaks was just sort of browsing Google News, and she clicked <laughs> on a story about Guardians of the Galaxy. Me, it was by me, and she didn't yeah, realize and... until halfway through. She's like, "This voice sounds really familiar," and she scrolled up and checked. And so, do you want to know it's even? Do you want to know it's funnier? Yes. Uh, just before I was checking Twitter, just before we started recording, mm-hmm. Matt Maxwell is subtweeting me for a story I wrote for Hollywood Reporter that I don't think he realizes I wrote. <laughs> I almost responded, and then I was like, I'm not going to. It's much funnier. Oh, that's poor Matt. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, anyway, so yes, I know that you've written a shit ton, and it was like, it was it was one of the top hits on uh, on Google News under entertainment. So Edie clicked it, read it, and then was like, wait. So I know... <laughs> I know that you've, but, uh, so, so we'll talk about it very briefly. We both saw the trailer. I think it's sort of generally worth mentioning, uh, cause a few people were kind of like, Oh, I can't wait to see what you think about it. I think you and I are both sort of generally in agreement that it was a, um, a very efficient trailer. Uh, it did yes. what it was supposed to do very much so successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to see the film after yes. seeing the trailer. Exactly. Like, mission accomplished. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, sure, I will watch that film. It looks like fun. Right. Exactly. And I think they, I think they really did manage to convey that in a remarkably short period of time. So I think, I think that's going to work. Um, you had mentioned the idea that it, uh, well, at least in passing, you had referred to it as cynical. Do you think that's still the case? And if so, why? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very cynical trailer. I don't know if it's going to be a cynical film, but mm-hmm. I think it's a very cynical trailer because I think the, well, the trailer, it, genuinely set out to be like, you don't know who these guys are. We're going to introduce you to them. Right. And does so in a way that positions them as the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so I think that, I think that's very cynical. I think it's like, look, you've got the wisecracking asshole, you've mm-hmm. got the deadly woman, you've got the Hulk, 
and you have these two other characters that we're not even going to really give spe- like there's going to be no speaking there's we're going to get rid of them re- really quickly and they look weird mm-hmm. so it's like it's three-fifths of the avengers everyone and they're in space <laughs> huh that's interesting because i'm and i I don't even yeah. necessarily think that's like evilly cynical, mm-hmm. but I think in terms of I, that's what when I was saying that I thought it was really uh, efficient and really effective. Yes, I think it effectively is like they're familiar enough so they're not scary, and they're in space. Mm-hmm. I think you're meant to finish that trailer with the idea of oh, it's Marvel characters, but in space, right? And that's the selling point. I think the selling point at this point is maintaining the Marvel brand, right? Uh, and I, I think it does that really, really well. Interestingly enough, I suppose that's the only thing that kind of that I think is fascinating to me in a potentially troubling way is there's an extent to which the positioning of the Guardians in the trailer is, like you said, A, okay, you don't know these guys, but also a little bit of the... mm, they're taking these characters and they're making them very accessible by essentially saying like, A, nobody knows them and B, kind of like, you know, here's who they are right up front, but also a little bit of, um, and you don't, you don't have to worry about taking themselves too seriously because we don't take oh, them yeah, yeah. seriously. But also they play, yeah, they very much play them as the underdogs. I mean, the yes. trailer starts off with Star-Lord saying I'm Star-Lord and someone going, who? And then the rest of the trailer is John C. Riley. Actually, literally introducing them to you. Yes. No trailer in history does yeah. this. Yeah. No trailer in history for any other film is like we will literally take you through our main cast and show you their show you them and tell you their names. Right. Right. I and think not, that's not even true. not even hint a plot right. at all. Right. It's literally the characters are the most important thing about this, and the characters are fairly familiar. But also, we all think the characters are fuck ups. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the part that I find kind of fascinating is the idea to which Marvel – I mean it, it it seems like a very cohesive way to put things together and it's very smart because, you know, for example, Edie who saw the trailer was – she was like, I'm so relieved that Chris Pratt is going to be Chris Pratt in it. I want to see that movie, you know, because she's Chris yeah, Pratt. Kate, Kate, Kate was the same. Kate yeah. and Kate – very rarely says she wants to see films in the, in the theater. Yeah. And after we saw the trailer, she's like, oh, I totally couldn't see that in the theater. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but it does make me wonder in that sense, like, you know, okay, so you've got this special exception crafted for Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the, you know, we're not yeah. taking what, them seriously. Yeah. What do you do next time? Because it's, it's a one-time trick. Exactly. Exactly. Here's the thing, though. It's not a one-time trick. Because mm. Ant-Man is supposed to be a comedy as well. Right. Which means that the next two movies where they introduce new characters, it's as comedies. Yeah. So what makes me fascinated is what they do then when they try and do a serious film again. Exactly. Exactly. But then again, if you think about it, none of the Marvel movies have really been serious films. They've all been cartoonish at best. Like The, the most serious one to date... Looks like the next Captain America. Yeah, I was about to say. Well, the first, the first Captain America is pretty serious too. Honestly, was marketed that way and was pretty serious. I mean, there was I, more I jokes in it than than yeah. you would think, but more often than not, as opposed to something like Thor, where I felt, and that was Thor's the, totally fucking cartoonish. Avengers is insanely. Oh, cartoonish. I, I was going to say that Thor actually, the first Thor movie is is 
not quite as much of a rom- it has enough rom-comness both in the marketing and in the movie. In fact, one of the things that I found fascinating about Guardians of the Galaxy was it struck At no point are they like you're going to kiss Chris Pratt and, and Zoe Saldana are going to kiss. Right. I mean, not even that, but like, you know, like you almost always get like an ab shot out of a Marvel trailer. You know what I mean? Oh, you got you got an ab shot in Guardians of the Galaxy. Did you? What? Yeah, oh, Chris Pratt. Huh? Did you see? Oh, okay. Then yeah, in case, that yeah. case, I take it back because I was like, I, I, and I'm pretty sure you see Drax's Drax's abs as well. I was going to say, I think that's because Drax always is topless. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. you definitely see Chris Pratt topless. Oh, okay. Okay. Because that is that, that to me is the Marvel move and one of the smarter Marvel moves that I think that that, that they've made, frankly. Hey, ladies, sexy man. Right. Exactly. It's 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 very it's very cynical. Um, yeah, Marvel are really good at marketing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, or Marvel, I'll try again. Marvel Studios is really good at marketing. <laughs> yes. Well, no, but really, Marvel Comics is not Marvel. Uh, whoever's in charge of Agents of Shield on ABC. Mm-hmm. I mean, which isn't uh, presumably isn't it? Presumably, it's an ABC person, not a Marvel person. Yes. But that show has been marketed appallingly. Well, but that's one of the many terrible things about Agents of Shields is the is the marketing. Yeah, I think that has is I think it could very well be leveled laid laid at the um at the feet of ABC in that regard. Yeah, I think it's got to be. I mean I don't think Marvel has that much control. I'll say this much for the, the um Guardians marketing though. Seeing their poster today and seeing the tagline, that tagline's going to be nauseating within a month. And the movie doesn't come out until August. Oh, what's the tagline? I didn't even see the poster. You're welcome. Oh, really? <sighs> yeah, that's go- that's that's genuinely going to become an annoying tagline for well before the movie comes out. Yeah, yeah. Especially because it's also the hashtag everyone from Marvel is using to advertise the film. <laughs> and so that, I mean, honestly, there's no way that's not going to become annoying. Yeah, completely, completely. Well, we'll see where that we'll see where that son of a bitch ends up. But uh, thank you. I I wanted to, if, if, as long if as it's mm-hmm. it's the movie that can't fail. If it fails, then Marvel's fucked. Uh, they're not Marvel. In order for, in order for Marvel to have legs, they have to prove they can do something that's not the Avengers. Oh, dude, no. Yeah, I don't think you that. That's the definition of. Um, success from like 15 years ago in Hollywood. You know what I mean? That is not the, the fact that arguably they have three franchises, you know, between Cap, Thor and Iron Man, even even Iron Man's done. Well, yeah, it's recycled, but they, they launched it. They just don't want to pay the $90 million to like get Downey to come back. Yeah. But that's just it because they won't, they have two movies left for Cap, one movie left for Thor. Yeah. Two Avengers left. No Iron Man's left. Yeah. So if they can't, if they can't launch Guardians, and Guardians doesn't even need to be a massive hit. It just needs to be like a hit on the level of fuck what. I don't know. It just needs to beat John Carter. Yeah. Well, see, that's it. We're no, just no, at that realm of like, like, as long as it's bigger than Pacific Rim. That's what, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, as long as it, yeah, as long as it's Pacific Rim or or above. Yeah, I I think. But if it crashes and burns, it's it's not good. Yeah, it's it's. I don't think that that's going to happen. We'll see how we'll see how things go. But but I, I my can't personal see, I can't feeling see it is, failing. You can or cannot. 
cannot. Yeah, I can't either. Because I, I, I think so many people are going to want to see it, and I right. honestly can't believe it's going to be that bad either. We'll see. That's it. Unless they you know turn I mean? out a completely shitty thing. Um, yeah, and I just can't. I can't believe it's going to be completely shitty. Yeah, I, I just can't. Actually, what's weird is I sort of feel like they are doing enough to make it seem like this is going to be its own weird thing, even as it's a completely safe rehash of a bunch of different things. Maybe. Oh yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's funny. I saw someone on Twitter be like, "I've never seen a trailer like Guardians of the Galaxy before. Everything in that is brand new." <laughs> like. Well, have you never seen a film? Have you honestly not seen a film for like last ten years? Totally, totally. I mean, I, I, I was amused by the amount of yeah, just just how disparate the 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 influences were, which is not necessarily a bad thing, of course. Well, exactly. Again, if it's entertaining, it's fine. Like right. no one's expecting this to change the world; they just want to have a good time. Exactly. So I think they've positioned it perfectly in terms of expectations and information, and they're on track. That being said, I would have to say, in the age of endless sequels and franchises, I don't. I think that Marvel is still a. I would say it's about th- two, three films away from being fucked. You know, I really do. I really do. Oh, the, the question is this: When's their first flop? Because I don't think Guardians is going to be a flop. I don't think is so. Ant Man is Ant Man going to be the flop? Is Ant Man going to be the first one? I say Ant Man has a really good chance at it. Cause, yeah. Because uh, honestly, is, is Edgar Wright still attached? Yeah, he's still writing and directing. That's that. Yeah, that's why you're like Scott Pilgrim was a flop and. Unless you're hoping that the Marvel brand is going to be enough to get people to turn out, yeah, I, th- I think you're looking at Ant Man being the first one that's a flop. I, I think it's got a very good point, chance. I almost just want it to happen, right? Do you know what I mean? Like just to get it out of the way, because right. you know that when Marvel's first flop happens, you are going to be inundated with think pieces about how Marvel is dead. Maybe, you know, and I just I want to be over that. I, I want to be past that already. Well, I mean, I think I personally think that you can, because um, to me, honestly, Marvel's not in Pixar territory, but it's getting there. I don't think the first flop means anything. I think it's the second flop, because I think honestly, when Pixar didn't do gangbuster business with whatever the fuck it was, Cars 2 or whatever, people started to be like, okay, Pixar, the magic's gone, right? You know? Yeah. And I don't I don't think that that really stuck. And I, so I think for Marvel, the they've made so many successful movies, one of which was so ginormously successful that, that honestly, I would see that if Guardians flopped and the next movie was Ant-Man, then you would see pieces being like, is Marvel in trouble? But honestly, I think if Guardian Guardians hits at least as big as we think it's going to, and then Ant-Man flops, you're just going to be like, people are, at that point, people are going to be It's going to be, like, to be people, they flopped. Right. Exactly. It was like, well, it was A, it was too offbeat, and people in Hollywood are going to be like, you know what? Edgar Wright's super talented, but he can't open a movie. Yeah, that, that it's true. Ant-Man flops. Edgar Wright's going to be hurt far more than, than Marvel is. I think so. I really do think so. So, hey, let's talk about Prometheus briefly. Cause, as oh, you God, because you finally saw it. Hey, Jeff, Prometheus, what did you think? Huh? Isn't it great? Didn't it answer all your questions <laughs> that you didn't even have about Alien? I... 
what was great was it really did open up so many more questions about the first um, Alien movie, such as the same guy made this and what were they thinking and how could this have even happened? You know, you know. I loved that you paused the film to say on Twitter and watch Prometheus, and I feel like four or five people were like, "Jeff, you should just stop." There were the number of people who were like, "Don't do it." We were just like, "Yeah, yeah, Jeff, your life's too short." The best way is I totally remember watching Prometheus and people saying the same thing to me and me being like, "No, how bad can it be?" And then getting to the end and being like, "Oh, it can be this bad." Well, the thing that I thought was amazing was. I thought that Prometheus was going to be one of those movies that, like you said, you get to the end and you're like, that was an utter piece of shit. What shocked me was 14 minutes in. Like, 14 minutes. I was like, am I crazy? Or is this, like, like one of the worst scripts that I have ever oh, heard performed The, the script is appalling. The script is appalling, but I swear to God, I had, I had cautious optimism for that film so far into it sure sure i kept on thinking it's bad now but it's totally going to pick up i have no idea why i i really could not tell you why i thought that but i genuinely all the way like almost all the way to the part where um i can't even remember the lead actress's name holy shit yeah yeah numi rapace yeah i mean that is 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 in the 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 pregnancy thing and it's cutting the other like i think that's the point where i was like oh no this is this is just not good it's amazing i think up up until that point i was like it's gonna pick up it's gonna pick up so many people were telling me it wasn't (laughs) yeah but i i was i was so optimistic but no it is it's a terrible script it's 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 a terrible script but i think i know the reason for your optimism because it's twofold one is uh michael fassbender as david is brilliant Compelling, yeah. Yeah, utterly compelling. so compelling and charismatic. I, all, all through, mm-hmm. all through, I think the cast is great, and I think it looks great as well. See, this is interesting. I would disagree with you, it, it, at least as far as the cast goes, because I actually thought uh, Numi Rapace and what's-his-name, Charlie, like the scientist couple, are tragically miscast. Like the two of them oh, no, I, are... I, I, I really like them, even though the other guy, I keep on thinking it's Tom Hardy and it's not. Yeah, it's it's that thing of like he just seemed like he was yeah, maybe it was Tom Hardy. I was like he really seemed to me like perhaps because this is such the topic of Prometheus, it was like they gene spliced Paul Walker and Vin Diesel together. <laughs> and so you kinda had like sort of this bald but uncharismatic but smirky but like you know, leaden kind of individual. But the movie is visually so intelligent in a way that how do i put it um i think that's the thing that sort of bothered me is is that prometheus is such a spielbergian movie because i generally as a rule of thumb have no patience for spielberg in part because he has such an absolute stellar command of the visual palette and usually a tremendous amount of wit in the way that he stages things. Like, I'm usually super, super um, blind to this stuff. But one of the things that knocked me dead about Prometheus is if you were to sit down, like, with a little visual handbook to look at the references that he's using in Prometheus. I mean, it's not just Alien, which you would expect, of course. It's not just, like heavy metal magazine 
But like one of the things that like knocked me out was um, in the movie they're running around, of course, with the big glass bubbly spacesuit things that they keep taking yeah. off for ludicrous reasons all throughout. And then they're wearing these little skull caps, right, that have their names on them. That is literally no fucking joke straight from the original Buck Rogers comic strip. Like, those hats, those are those little weird old football hats that Buck Rogers and Wilma Deering wear in the original Buck Rogers. And to see those there, I mean, it's the fact that – it's not just the fact that um, that Michael Fassbender is fascinating. It's that he is literally – I mean, his character is called David. He's playing a reverse man who fell to earth. You know what I mean? He's David Bowie in The Man Who Fell to Earth, but in reverse, basically. You know? There's so many ideas and wit in the way things are pre- presented. I mean, stuff that made me laugh. I mean, and it's not just the science fiction references. The idea that everyone talked about Alien as being a haunted house movie in space. I remember that as like being one of the original reviews that must have clearly tickled uh um Ridley Scott so much because Prometheus <laughs> yeah. like there's scenes where, where there's like spooky sounds there's that that human head on the hill when there's like the windstorm blowing that made mm-hmm. me laugh it's it's like it's like house on haunted hill you know what i mean it's like even a specific <laughs> ghost movie like can you spend the night in this scary haunted planet you know this millionaire is paying you all this money but he's got this secret agenda i mean it's fucking oh stop making me like prometheus more <laughs> you said that, i was like that's kind of crazy i mean exactly I mean, oh, no. it's, it's, oh, it's no. horrible. It's horrible here, at every stage. Here's the so, thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, in a weird, I, so I did not like Prometheus. Right. As a movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was beautiful. I liked the cast. Yes. I, otherwise I thought it was terrible. Right. I am really, really curious about the comic. I'm like, there is potential in there that someone can get. Maybe they can get to it in the comic. Oh, did it? Uh, see, this is where you'll have to film. Dark, Dark, Dark Horses, Dark Horse is relaunching that entire franchise later this year. And wow. they're doing an Alien comic, a mm-hmm. Predator comic, an Aliens versus Predator comic, and a Prometheus comic. Wow. And they're going to. Well, see, that's it's, it. Yeah. It's, sh- mm-hmm. it's shared continuity. Right. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, we'll see where that goes. Because frankly, by the time you get to the end of Prometheus, um,. It has just shit itself repeatedly. Oh god, there was some <laughs> other reference that really the, amused the, me the, by the end, end of things. The, the end with it, like the alien is around. Yeah, like that. That really was just that. That was weird. Like I was like, I didn't want to see any of this. Yeah, you could have removed all of the alien from Prometheus, and I think I might have liked the film better. In a way, it would have felt more honest, and that's the thing that sort of bothers me about Prometheus is. The part of the enjoyment of the movie is no, – cause, and I've read some stuff basically thanks to the, mir- the internet miracle that is Sean Witzke. It's like I've seen stuff where it's clear that Ridley Scott loves the production development process, you know? Yeah. And in Prometheus, that is clear. Like I had no doubt watching that movie that someone had solved the here's how people use toilet paper – 
in this century. You know, kind of like it's just so at every fucking Someone layer. Someone has thought this shit through. Absolutely. At every stage, there's this idea of like, okay, we're going to th- figure out how this works and this works and this works. But the script – and so – but the script is so terrible. And yet by the time you get to the end of it, it gets into this weird like – you know, you basically have like this an ins- uh, a sociopathic robot head and a religious zealot scientist in search of God in space. Like, what's not to like? Yeah, exactly. In a way, it's like that's the weirdest franchise ever. Oh, anyway, so I just kind of got the idea that that is what. Ridley Scott wanted to tell. That's he wanted to do a story yeah, at yeah. this scale did, and did, this size again. But also, did it not feel to you that Prometheus was all a excuse to get to the story he actually wants to, which is the sequel to Prometheus, which is not Alien? Yeah, yeah, I kind of felt that way. I mean, I kind of felt like I and, and this is the thing that sort of bothered me was the idea that that Ridley Scott's visual sense is. intact, but his ability, his ability to hear or detect bullshit in a script or when it's spoken aloud is completely shot. So I think he really was like, I want to make a movie that is about a space adventure and is a weird sort of heavy metal-ish kind of idea, but I don't want to go down the alien route route. I really want to go down the sort of weird metaphysical, almost Mobius-like playful surrealistic imagery angle but if you're not going to give me the money to do that without doing the alien thing then okay i'll do the alien alien prequel yeah yeah exactly and i'm going to do it to do this whole other thing and the thing that's terrible is that stuff was so poorly written i didn't want to see any of it and then of course the alien stuff is so gratuitous and unnecessary and then just shits on the original movies in a way that you're just like oh oh this was not a good idea it's it's tragic cuz it looks i mean i watched it on our big screen tv and i'm like this is gorgeous looking and horrible yes this is beautiful shit absolutely you and I have gone over prequels before, right? That pre- like a prequel is never a good idea. You know, you've said this, and I'm not sure that I buy it. I'm not sure that I buy it. I I can't think of a prequel that has genuinely added something to the original and also stands on its own feet as a, as a narrative. Apart from Godfather Two, you mean? No, because even uh, no, I'm not sure Godfather Two would work if you hadn't seen Godfather One. That's a toughie, man. Because that's that's the last little bit of the knot. Like, how much of a standalone well, that's what, that's what movie I'm, could be? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, prequels are so reliant on what they're essentially spinoffs from. Yeah, yeah. That part of me is like, why? Like, why do it? <laughs> well, okay. It's as much a catch because it's not even a, it's not even like a sequel. A sequel, you can do something totally unexpected, and you don't have a predetermined endpoint. Right. Whereas a prequel, you do. I just, I have, I rankle with the prequel so much. I mm-hmm. really, really do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I generally think that it's a, the prequel is a bad idea, a very bad idea. But of course, I'm like, eh, Godfather Part Two, because I think honestly, it's very difficult for most movies to sort of stand on their own kind of like. <laughs> 
you know what I mean? Like, I'm sort of, I'm no, sort I, of like, I, I totally do. And also, like, uh, my Godfather feelings in general are complicated because the first time I ever saw The Godfather, it was when it was re-edited into the TV miniseries. Oh, Jesus. Okay, well, I, I, I came to that? it like very... In the 80s? Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I came yeah, to it super late. I came to both The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two very late. And one of the things that actually shocked me was how much Godfather Part Two is different in tone. I thought really was different in tone from the first movie, and yet utterly complimentary. And basically, looking at the career of Francis Ford Coppola since, I'm convinced that was absolutely 100% a fluke accident. So it could well be... <laughs> you, you know what? I, I, I'm, going to le- I'm going to end this one by mm-hmm. um, actually saying, Sean Mitski, you can determine this. That's right. That's jo- right. Sean, if you, can, if you can come out with a prequel that fulfills my admittedly ludicrous criteria of standing on its own and not leaning too much on the original source material... I will, I will, I was going to say no longer complain about prequels, but that's not true. I will complain less about prequels because I will understand that someone smarter than me has, has come up with a counter argument. <laughs> See, the thing that's rough is you have to separate out prequels from relaunches. Like, you don't think of Casino Royale as the, the, the most recent Casino Royale. No, as a see, prequel, for, right? no, for some reason I think of that as like a reboot. Yeah, I'm the same you way. Know? Right, right. But it clearly sort of, it clearly gets a little a little bit of juice from the idea of it working as a prequel. Like we know yeah, who Bob but, is, but but also I think reboots in general. That's reboots always trade up on what's gone before, right? E- even if they're like forget everything, they're never forget everything. Like right. the, you know the, the the best ones point to is like the the Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. reboot, which totally works if you've never seen Battlestar Galactica before, but also plays so much on your expectations of that if you have seen it before. Yes, exactly. Right. 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 And, and But that, that is yeah, also a reboot, not a prequel. So Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but I was again, like, uh... Ca- Caprica. <laughs> Caprica is unfair because that is like, if you're holding that up as the stand, that's not even a good example no, but it's, of... It, uh, no, but for example, I mean, if you're just talking like if you're muddling the line between reboots and prequels, right? Like, uh, NBC's Hannibal is for me far preferable than uh, Silence of the Lambs or mm-hmm. Red Dragon or the, or the Hannibal uh, novel slash book, right? You know, like the, the, I find that great, and it doesn't. It both plays on what comes after, mm-hmm. but also gives you enough of that within the show itself mm-hmm. that you have. I think one of the things that the show does really well is it teases the possibility of redemption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, if you know what comes later, you know that just does not fucking happen. Right. Um, but I, I remember thinking that that was a good. That was the one, like the the eleven seconds of possibility in Smallville that was squandered was kind of that idea of. I remember from the first season of like, oh, Lex and Clark like each other. That's a brilliant idea. Like that's a great. Did, did you see? Did you see on Tumblr uh, Mark Bernardin's great take on the, what they should do with the Gotham series? Yes, thanks to your oh, looking to it on Tumblr. Oh, which is is the greatest idea, listeners. For those of you who have not seen this, he basically said what you should do with Gotham is you start with the Waynes out at an event and they leave and they get mugged and then they get saved by uh, Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do not die at the start. Yeah. That you have, you then have Jim Gordon and the Waynes be friends and explore that relationship before you later kill off the Waynes. Yeah. And then it becomes a story about the man failed to save his friend. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that, that I, I think that's that. awesome. Which I, I thought was a, I, you know, when Mark also did you see is the Long Kiss Goodnight should be a television show post? No, no. I will, that sounds he's, good. He's, well. he, he's been on fire lately, just with mm-hmm. you know, why aren't they doing this? And you're like, oh fuck you! <laughs> why is no one employing you to make television? Right. 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 As, as I've said to him on many occasions, and he is, which is always met with, I don't know, why aren't they? I wish they would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing that's great is if only he was to craft it so that it seems that it's possible that Jim Gordon had an affair with Martha Wayne, you know. <laughs> why doesn't Jim Gordon have an affair with everyone? Well, not everyone, Sarah although that would be sexy. <laughs> but no, but I mean... Sexy Gotham. Well, you know, it's on Fox, so you never know. Sexy Gotham could be happening. That's true. On Fox, it could be Sexy Gotham. Where it's like every scene, like like Jim Gordon just loosens his tie and the music starts Now that you've got Jada Pinkett Smith being the crime boss for the show, then you could have some sexy Ryan Atwood versus Mrs. Will Smith action. Yeah, you know, I have to say, Jada Pinkett Smith, man, I'll never, I, it's not fair to blame her. I'll never forgive her, you see. <laughs> generally, for marrying Will Smith and taking him away from me, is what I meant to say. Uh, for the, I shouldn't blame her for the, the, the second and third Matrix movies sucking so badly. But I do. I do. I completely Why? do. You blame her? You don't blame, you know, anyone else involved in those films? No, I blame everyone else, but she doesn't, she's also in that group. Like, she doesn't get, she doesn't get out of jail free, man. I'm just saying, Jada Pinkett Smith, everyone seems to be convinced, uh, that Jada Pinkett Smith has charisma. At least everybody within Hollywood seems convinced of that. And I don't think I anyone say, convinced I, yeah. out, everyone outside of Hollywood is convinced of the opposite. So, yeah, when they, she was cast, I was like, it's a, a Gotham has a weird-ass cast. It really does, doesn't it? Like, I forget. Ryan Atwood is Jim Gordon. Donald Logue is Harvey Bullock. Yeah, it's 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 going to be odd. It's going to be a yeah, very, very odd show. You know, it's one of those things that's either going to be absolutely amazing or a train wreck in slow motion. Yeah, i I kind of think that I kind of think we're looking at train wreck in slow motion because the whole idea is that it's it's Gotham in the years before Batman, right? It's post yeah. Wayne shooting, yeah. but leading up to, but, but also not because they're all they were then like, but you're going to see the Penguin, right? And it's like. Really? I thought you were doing before Batman. But it, so, yeah. No, but it makes sense to me. I, I, you know what I mean? In that idea of uh, – here's the thing. I kind of think because uh, one of the comics that I tried to read and did not get through uh, is I checked out of the library a trade paperback uh, hardcover of Batman Life After Death by Tony S. Daniel. Um, oh, we talked about that last week or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that I picked it up. Dude, I tried reading this. you still this. haven't read it? It's because Tony Daniel wrote it and it, it will be horrible. No, but see, I like – Tony Daniel's like, writing is terrible. I, I – this is the thing. like his art, Jeff. No, like once I – no, once I owned up to the fact that I like his writing and his art together, I thought I would dig this and it's impenetrable and – God bless him. I'm that's, actually trying to cut him some slack, you know, because I mean that, – That's my reaction to everything he's written. Yeah. Well, this I, one I, is I especially genuinely, so. I genuinely find his writing impossible yeah. to get through. Yeah. This and one, I say that as someone who yes. fucking read The Savage Hawkman. Dude, 
By the way, fuck you, because I, you were like, oh, Jeff, you should read The Savage Hawkman. It's not his art. Oh, Jeff, you should read The Savage Hawkman. Like, sure. Jeff, if you like Detective Comics, you should read The Savage Hawkman. Yeah, you say that like, you say that like I was like, Jeff, it's a good comic. No, I was saying, if you like Tony Daniel, here's another comic you read. It's terrible. <laughs> That's staring at me. No, is such. Oh, that, that's the worst thing ever, listeners. Just be glad you don't have like video because Jeff just stared at me and said nothing, and it was terrifying. <laughs> it was so so scary. It's <laughs> like being stared down by Grumpy Cat. Uh, I Savage Hawkman was awful. Was so. Because you were like, oh, blah, blah, blah. So I went and bought it when it was on sale. You bought it? And tried reading it with the Kindle? No. No. What were you thinking? No. No. I'm not taking responsibility for that. So, that was a terrible decision. Anyway, so I was like, okay, Tony Daniel, if he's writing and drawing it, I will like it. And I'm trying to get through this thing, and honestly, he is – because this is during those weird, like – this was when, I guess, um, Grant Morrison bowed out, I think. No, that's not right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It it was when Grant Morrison went off to do Batman and Robin. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's like set in the – it reprints issues uh, um, 6.92 through 6.99 of Batman. So it comes – you know, Morrison comes back at issue 700, right? Am I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 692 through 699, the fucking Black Mask War, which makes no sense, is completely incomprehensible. There's an entire chapter that is a cocktail party where one supporting character of the Batman title farts and like the six other bat titles smell it basically. I mean, it's like, it's got the huntress, but she kisses Dick Grayson and then Barbara Gordon looks upset. But meanwhile, it's just like gibbledygook. There's no reason why any of it is happening whatsoever other than to move these pieces back and forth. So, but there's this, they bring back Carmen Falcone. And I have – I was so entirely underwhelmed by Batman The Long Halloween uh, and then whatever the prequel, sequel was to it. Um, but people dig that – people in DC seem to dig that Falcone family feeling. And I, honestly, reading this particular story, I really got the sense – Graham, are you hiding from the camera? I'm really not going to be no, making this no, face. I'm right here. You. I'm right okay. here. Okay. I just saw the side of your face. I'm like, he's dodging my scowl. I'm not scowling. Uh, it's, I really feel that, that – um, is the, 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 the DC thinks like, oh, yeah – Here's Cobblepot, you know, Oswald Cobblepot, and he, he owns the clubs and he pulls the strings. And here's the Falcone family, and they own the mob and they pull the strings. And, you know, there's so many string pullers in Gotham. Yeah, there's a lot of strings in Gotham. Yeah, and everyone seems to think that this is like an incredibly rich and vivid mythology of backstory and Maybe they'll do something with it. They certainly have all those pieces in place, but I just don't think. I just don't. I don't know. They, they, no, they, they, they'll. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm. I'm not a big fan of of 
of that whole setup, to be honest. I'm not a big fan of the, it's a crime family fighting a crime family. Meanwhile, there's another crime family behind the scenes looking at them at a crime family. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck all of you with your seven million fucking crime families. Jesus right. fucking Christ. Right, yeah. exactly. Not, not, not a fan, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, sorry. We'll, we'll see sorry, where that goes. Sorry, Tony Daniel. Sorry, Fox. Batman, Batman issue 28. Uh, did you, yeah, you it? said did you, you wanted to talk about it. I didn't. I, I am again, uh, way behind. Oh wait, did I read it? Yeah, that was last week. Yes, I would have thought you would have gotten that, the... Yeah, that was the, that was the, um, the sneak forward into the middle of their miniseries that's yet to come out issue. Yeah, I have read that, that one. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the, the zero year. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so this is the only real point that I have, and then we can move on to talking about 25 issues of Avengers or whatever you want to talk about. Oh, no, no, I, I actually want to uh, I want to ring your bell about something else first. But anyway. Okay, Batman. fair enough. Uh, Batman 28, the one thing that really struck me, because uh, well, I read it and I'm like, eh, whatever. Um, it made me think, like, you've got, you've got Scott Snyder. He's been on Batman for, I don't know, coming up on three years, he's basically had three new status quos. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He, yeah. And, and seeing it, seeing him play that card in Batman 28, the Batman Forever thing, being a like, what's going on? Everything's different. Everything's different. Yeah. It, it, it was fascinating to me that that was like the one the one move of the book and is like, oh, come check it out and see what happened. And I'm like, I kind of had this thing of like, unless this guy's got another status quo up his sleeve, I kind of think Scott Snyder's off Batman in uh, whatever, a year or two years tops. Because I just don't know if he's got that much else going on. You know, I, I'm when I read Batman 28, my first thought was honestly, you're giving yourself a lot of shit to do in that year. Yeah. In that miniseries. Right. Like, to to just set this up is a lot of work. To set this up and presumably resolve it, right. that's, you're giving yourself a shit ton of work to do in the series. And I'm not sure it's going to be fun reading it. Well, we'll see how it goes. I mean, that is one of, I, I think, personally, I think you're right. Because I think that uh, the, the secret ingredient of 52 was the fact that the guys who wrote it were willing to basically follow their bliss and set up other storylines that they were interested in, play these things out, and basically give themselves more room. And then, of course, at the end of it, like Dan DiDio angrily had to put out the World War Three miniseries. Yeah, miniseries, because they had absolutely no desire to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so I kind of feel that... The, that it seems really important to, I, I, and I understand it helps to have a hook, um, for a weekly miniseries. I'm not sure, like, at this point for Batman, especially the everything you know is different is the strongest hook considering it's basically been played twice in two years, you know? Yeah. Um, and also at this point, Everything you know about Batman, it does not actually amount to a huge amount. Well, see, that's it. Because you have played it so often. Yeah. It's like everything you know for the last seven months since last time undermined everything. Yeah, yeah. Although I'd say in the DC solicits, I was very happy to see the Batman and Robin solicit because the title is officially becoming Batman and Frankenstein. Really? (laughs) Yeah, really seriously is. (sighs) Ah. 
Well, I have to say that I read the Batman and Two-Face that came out this week, and that was a huge mess. I, I love Gleason's art. Um, but that has, I am, has Tabasi just lost it. I, this, you know, this arc has been painful to me. It really has. It's, it's been super painful. painful. I don't know what Tomasi was doing. I honestly think that he started off with going in one direction and then basically realized, I think he either a, he felt like he was, he had, he basically has strong ideas about two face and he was going to do this Batman and Two-Face thing, and he was going to use it as a segue to basically tell his Two-Face year one story that he wanted to tell. And halfway through, he was basically told that was not going to happen That because of zero year or whatever. Or the alternate side is, is that he was given an editorial mandate to basically jam in a bunch of Two-Face year zero stuff in there. But it's... It's a freaking mess. It looks lovely in it, but it has ideas that are so sketchy and undeveloped, you really wonder what the fuck was going on. Well, my cynical take on it is what I think happened is he got Carrie Kelly taken away from him. Yeah, that could be. In, in, in Batman 28, when you see Batman talking to the Batcave and you see a woman there, I'm pretty sure that's Carrie Kelly, and I think they took, him away from, uh, they took her away from the series to make sure she ended up in Batman Eternal. And I, I think that he's been vamping because he was like, I had a whole Carrie Kelly arc base. Because remember, at one point, right. there was an issue that was going to be called Batman and Carrie Kelly. Yes. And then they were like, now it's Batman and Two-Face. Yeah. I can't even imagine where Carrie Kelly would have fit in this storyline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. You know, so I, I think I think there's very hasty rewrites because he's lost Carrie Kelly. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 she, that's true. She, I was very interested in his Carrie Kelly. Well, it's interesting. Is she going to – I assume she really is going to be in Batman Eternal then because I kind of have felt – guess because I can't think where else she'd be. Well, honestly, I kind of think that this could be one of those situations where Scott Snyder's version of Carrie Kelly. Yeah. You know. Oh, Harper rule. Yeah. I think he was like, you know what? I, I've also created a girl sidekick. Exactly. And this is the girl sidekick we want to go with and we don't really want to – we need to stay on message so yours has got to go. And that's – I think – Yeah, it could, it could be. I think that's well, what – One way or another, I think I think uh, Tomasi's original plan for Kyrie Kelly is gone. Clearly scrapped. But yeah, whatever happened in this Batman and Two-Face arc, it was – it it was it was a freaking mess, and honestly, his Batman and Robin annual that I ended up getting, uh, I did not think was was. <laughs> I've still not read week. that. Yeah, you honestly just reminded me. I've still not read that. <laughs> well, you know what? What's even worse, Graham, is you may read it and be like, "Oh no, I did read this," and that yeah, would God, also that, be understandable. That's what, I, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. That I'll be like, "Oh no," because part of me is like, "Wait, maybe I did," because definitely start. Like, I've definitely read the start. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Here's the thing I wanted to ask you about really quickly. Yes. You said you wanted to talk about 2000 AD. I wanted to talk about the fact that I think the Judge Dredd strip recently 2000 AD has been amazing. The Titan yes. storyline, I think, has been stunningly good. Absolutely. It's, like, it's trifecta level good for me. Yeah. I, I have been absolutely addicted to the Dread over the last ten weeks or so. Yeah. 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 That's, That's. I. I wanted to jump in exactly. I think that actually. I, I'm impressed by how readable 2000 AD is has been for this most recent run. I think because a large part of it is Titan has been fantastically strong, even without me knowing much of the characters, which is kind of great because now that I'm delving into 
Judge Dredd, I'm actually running across some oh, yeah. of them. So, uh, and part of me wants to say, Jeff, you have to read Mega City Undercover, the Mega City Undercover collections, because Amy Nixon is the main character for the first two of those. Wow. Yeah. See. So, so somehow they do an amazing job of managing to convey all of that in there. It just it's a it's a really really strong story. That. And the Stronium Dog stuff, I have enjoyed so much that that I've even been willing to put up with. Uh, I just I just have really liked it all, despite the fact that there's part of me that half loathes Ulysses Sweet. I'm basically sort of vaguely enjoying it. You know, yeah, I find Ulysses Sweet like really. I, it's not being good, and yet at the same time, I've kind of liked it. Exactly. I like, exactly. I'm very aware it's not good. I'm yeah. very aware of all the shortcomings, but part of me is like, I'll go along with it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I just, but I, I've have been for a while, been like, I should say somewhere how good Titan's been because Titan's just been so incredibly good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. So, so I think it's I think it just wrapped up this week which was part nine or something like that, part ten, I don't remember but I think it was part ten, yeah. Yeah. Definitely for anyone who who digs some like again, it, it I think it's really clearly obviously rewarding to long term readers like Graham, but as a weird, gritty piece of space Science fiction adventure. We, we should we should sort of explain what Titan's about. Yeah. So in Judge Dredd mythology, Titan is a moon base mm-hmm. uh, where former judges who have themselves broken the law are sent. Yeah, it it is a, is a, a prison filled with former judges who are essentially too dangerous to remain on Earth. Right. They send them to space, uh, and the series is about the fact that Titan has vanished. No one can talk to Titan anymore. And so something has clearly happened up there. And they send up a, uh, a team of space marines with Judge Dreads attached to them mm-hmm. to find out what has happened. And what has happened is not what anyone expects. Yeah. 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 And where it goes from there is just – it's really great. I mean the thing that I actually loved about the finale too is when you get to the climax, which I will not give away, it's one of those things where – how do I put it? What was great about it was it was an either or choice where you're like, you are aware that whatever choice is made is going to change everything irrevocably. Like it manages to put that right there. And so, yes. I was going to say, what else I really like about it is it's one of those climaxes that manages to work as a conclusion to the story and yet make you want to see what happens next. Exactly. Exactly. I, I really was like, I want, like, this is clearly setting something else up. And I think yeah. that's something that Dread does amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Dread mm-hmm. is very good. All the, the mega epics, as they call them, yeah. are really good at telling a complete story and yet also altering the status quo in a larger, small way that you think, oh, I really want to see the next chapter of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. 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 So that was great. I have to say that reading... Reading those every week has been just an absolute unmitigated pleasure, and uh, I quite enjoyed the magazine that just quite came that came out um, with the. Is that the one with uh, with R. M. Guerra doing art, or was that last month? Uh, I think that was last month. This is the that great the call of Kate Cottrell, you know, where it's oh yes, yeah, which is is like really strong and and. 
the Kim Cattrall bit is weirdly old-fashioned as well. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's Kim block, and you're like, oh, I completely forgot that they used to do, like, celebrity puns in the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really had this moment of nostalgia about it, where I was like, oh, that's right, they do that, don't they? Right, right. right. Well, well, and this is the first time where I think I've ever kind of gotten the idea behind it, because I'm like, why do they call it Kate Cattrall? Oh, Kim Cattrall. Oh, the Call of Cthulhu, because that's the other thing that they're playing off of with it, because it's Dread versus... Lovecraftian monsters, the, basically the older ones invading a block of the mega city. I'm like, I couldn't be more down with it. You're like on board, <laughs> so on board, so on board. How did you feel about how ordinary wrapped up? I thought that it sort of kind of jumped to okay. Well, that's the end very quickly. Yeah, I fe- I feel it was surprisingly fast. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to probably get it in the the Titan series mm-hmm. because I think it will benefit for me from read or if there's a trade I'll get a trade right because I think it will benefit for me from reading it in larger chunks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. De- definitely, I felt that this that the last chapter was weird was felt slightly off, which is yeah. a shame because I've been loving Ordinary up until this point. I thought Ordinary has been really, really, really strong. I thought so again, too. Rob Williams, yeah. Rob Williams is. Uh, Rob Williams is someone who all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I should really pay attention to them. Yeah. Because Titan was amazing and Ordinary was amazing. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 exactly. Rob Williams is really, really strong. He's, uh, he's the, I, I feel the same. And Ordinary was interesting because it, it was a, like, as much as I was kind of like, eh, the idea's been done before, but it really was like having a little dose of a very good Vertigo comic. Like every month, enough jammed enough to where it actually felt like reading a real, a full Vertigo comic in some. I feel, yeah, a full chapter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 I've said it before. I love the magazine having essentially creator-owned works in there as well. Yeah. Stuff that's not tied to the Dread mythology. Mm-hmm. I think that's really nice to have. You know, you have your Dread, you have your Anderson. You have your, you know, whatever third strip will be probably in the drag verse, and then you have something else that is very explicitly not. Yes. I think it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 great. I I have to say I'm completely. They can continue to rob my my pocketbook for as long as they need to if they keep doing it this well. So um, I've been enjoying it. I enjoy it a lot, and I have to say it really is. There's something that's delightful about like, oh, it's. You know, Tuesday night, time to download 2000 AD. It's, it's, uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's lovely. So good job, Rebellion. Good yes. job. Well done, guys. Seriously. I, I, I have to say, I'm really, really happy that the Dread sequel, uh, Underbelly sold out so fucking quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was weirdly nervous for them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me was just like, I don't want them to do like, hey, we've done a US release and it's just tank. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I want them to do more of this. I want them to do so much more. You know, (laughs) fucking, you know, do dread so that then you can do other things. Like, in my ideal world, I'd love to see Rebellion take over the reprints from like IDW. Mm. You know, because IDW did Zosser of Zilk, they're doing dread, they're doing uh, Rogue Trooper, they're doing Sinister Dexter. I'd love to see Rebellion take over this. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I my personal feeling is is a one shot is nice. It's a far cry from being able to get their the international. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the, the, so yeah, they would. Yeah, yeah, they would have to be a significantly different operation. Yeah, I think so. I can dream, Jeff. I can dream. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and who knows? Maybe seriously, yeah, doing something like that monthly is is different enough from doing it weekly that they might be able to to carry it through. So yeah, well, definitely doing 2080 has never worked out. Bringing 2080 over here physically. Well, that's it. That that's why I've been so happy with digital because it really is the you get it every week as you're supposed to. And I mean, I just I prefer it. I I as much as I'm sure there are people who buy the monthly issues that get shipped all together. You know, the monthly pack. Um, yeah. And that's kind of fun in a horde, a bunch of issues and read them all at once kind of way. There's something about reading it every week and keeping yourself connected to the stuff that, that, um, it's, it's the way that it works. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, I can't imagine reading like four Titans in a row. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. waiting a month, like yeah. it works because you're like, this is six pages. It's fucking packed. Yeah. And then, then you're like, and there's a cliffhanger. Right. 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 And you're, and you're like, holy shit, I've got seven days. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, uh, I remember when Trifecta was going on, I remember that basically whenever 2080 would be available for download, I would stop whatever I was doing to read the Trifecta episodes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. This, it was ended up being the same for Titan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, there's the email. Okay. I, you know, I know I've been deadlines. <laughs> I'm going to read Titan. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah really would great. just be like, you know, mm-hmm. That's what I want. And when it's six pages, you can do that. Like, it's a different thing when it's, you know, a 24-page comic. Totally. Totally. Um, but six pages, you could definitely be like, I can carve out the 10 minutes or whatever. In fact, I'm actually having some problems here out of the big pile of stuff that I read either this week. I think it was last week. It's like I read Pretty Deadly 3, and I had that moment of like, maybe I should be waiting for the trade. And and I actually, there was a whole bunch of books that I read where I was like, Maybe I should switch to trades for just about everything other than, you know, I don't know, something really like Walking Dead or maybe even Walking Dead where I felt somewhat disconnected from – I'm sort of disconnected from the characters, but at least I can keep pace on the storyline. But like when I I read the the What Happened Previously page for Pretty Deadly number three, I was like, what? I don't remember – a third of that. Did that actually yeah. was that? Did that really happen, or did they just explain everything that they well, thought they were going to do in the first? But movie? here's the thing: it could be both. Yeah, yeah. Pretty I, deadly is not the most straightforward book. I can totally imagine a situation where they are explaining things that was not clear from the storytelling, and right. you have also forgotten some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. So. So I did have that thing of like, eh, maybe just do the trades. I don't know. I don't know. Anywho, I know I, I do I do fables and trades, and I I can't imagine reading fables as a monthly comic. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, I you know it's really weird. I'm really reluctant to do it. I think probably because weirdly I can still justify buying floppies, but like. Like, like I bought a trade this well, that, week and that, it was a super. Yeah, that's just it. Like when you buy the like when I buy the Fable trades and it's like twenty dollars. Yeah. Part of me is like, I know I'm glad I know that I'm going to enjoy this. If I was right. sampling something cold for twenty dollars, I I probably wouldn't buy it. Right. Exactly. Or even for me, it's as much. It's like ten dollars and the space on the shelf. You know what I mean? Because you either. Weirdly enough, floppies, I'm like, I can keep them and I can store them in a box somewhere. But trade paperbacks, it's like they're either on the shelf or they should probably go, you know. So my my trade selection has shrunk so much from where it was like five years ago that it's like, ah, I'm really antsy about it. Like, mm. like even right now, um, I really want to pick up the second Judge Dredd case files. Uh, and I spent a ridiculous – like you would – 
I found it hilarious anyway, how much time I spent going, okay, do I get it in print or do I get it in digital? And if I get it in digital, do I get it through iTunes or do I buy it on their website? You know, because it's three different factors. Like I get a good discount and I support the comic book store if I buy the physical copy, but then I have to store it on the shelves. If I buy the iTunes copy, it's actually cheaper than buying it from the ID, from a 2000 AD store, but 2000 AD store, as you know, is DRM free so it's like uh, yeah. I, I don't know anymore but, but there is a so way did, way did you buy any i haven't yet. yet i haven't yet i'm i'm still holding off i think i'm going to buy the drm the the drm free version so i can get it as a pdf and see how that is cuz honestly i uh, I, you know, I honestly, I really actually, I know you don't have much experience with it, but I, I think the 2000 AD's app for the, for the, for, uh, the iPad is, is a really good, robust comics reader. You know, you can bookmark pages, you can search on text. It's basically just a very fancied up PDF reader as far as I can tell. So part of me is like, eh, I can probably still, at least that's the, sorry, you can text search on the, the issues of 2000 AD. The few case files that I've read, they don't, they don't, you know, because it's older issues. Yeah. Anywho. Have you seen, just talking about their, their 2000 AD web store, have you seen they have all the Schleen material up in the digital web store now? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's very much not my bag. It's never been a series I've, I particularly enjoyed. But I ju- I'm saying it for the listeners. Anyone who is a fan of that, all of the stuff seems to be up there in the digital store right now. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I, I don't know how it is for the digital store, but you know, um, but if you have the 2000 AD app, they've expanded the. You can get the Judge Dredd case files. They have a pretty extensive. Selection of Judge Dread graphic novels. They put the Slanya stuff up there. There's also Nemesis, the Warlock, Rogue Trooper, and a bunch of Alan Moore trades. Um, so, so what we're saying, people, is buy some toothpaste and these. I, I I actually did buy the Warlock, the the color edition Warlock through through this, oh, yeah, so that yeah. I could read it. Yeah, and then started reading it and going, okay, I've read this material, and I'm not. <laughs> Why did I? So it's in color. I know, I know, I know. Tell me about it. Oh, oh, Jeff. Hey, Avengers, Jeff. Avengers. Right. right. We, we have, have to talk, talk about, about issues twenty-six through fifty of Avengers, which yeah, will be a we do. I get you. You're so excited. Well, let's start with the basics. Roy yes. Thomas takes over in Nishron. Yes. Uh, and the book becomes immediately better. <laughs> Immediately. Because Roy Thomas, Roy Thomas actually wants to be writing the book as opposed to Stan Lee. Yeah. Roy Thomas also is a, it really starts off as a Stan Lee clone. It's amazing yes. how much he's working to Stan Lee's speech patterns. And I didn't realize until I was reading like these issues, how much Avengers in these days is the perfect book for people who have no attention span. Yeah. yeah. Avengers is so great for bringing something up, and then two pages later, the same character will be opposing entirely the opposite opinion. Yes. In, and no one ever calls them on it. Ever. Yes. yes. In, in fact, fact, one of the things that's great is it's around, I don't know, issue like 35 or 36. It's 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 relatively, it's it's around the time where, right be, right around the time that Roy Thomas takes over. Although I don't, I don't know if he takes over a little bit earlier than that. But there's a thing where Captain America and Hawkeye are stuck in a trap 
which is a these like disintegrator beams have them surrounded and it's hilarious cap throws his shield it gets hit by a beam and disintegrates they talk about it like crumbling as if it was made out of paper mache and of course i'm like that was Captain America's shield. Like, how are they going to resolve that? You know, isn't that a big deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and ten pages later, he has it again. Like, you know, they're like breaking into the other thing is is I'm amazed, honestly, how much the Avengers should have been called the Invaders because the first fifty issues, the amount of time that they spend fighting. The, the Reds, Reds or, or Commies, or, or they're in like some but country. That's, that's, all, that's all they did. That was Stan Lee and his crazy yeah. like Red obsession at the time. It's yes. amazing. I mean, yeah. don't forget the Fantastic Four starts off. We've got to beat those Commies to space, Ben. Sure. I knew there was the occasional story where oh, no, it's no, like. It's, and it's all the bamboo curtain as well. Yeah. Like, oh, the bamboo, bamboo curtain. curtain. Jesus Christ. I'm shocked they Roy did Thomas not. loves our phrase. The bamboo curtain. Let's go behind the bamboo curtain. Well, Where's so Black Widow? she's behind the bamboo curtain. She's the bamboo. Oh my god. Well, see, the, so the thing that I think is fascinating to me with Roy Thomas is he takes over and he's very much either through one part inclination to probably one part being heavily edited by Stan Lee. He basically does everything that Stan Lee has done, you know, to date. Like, yeah. Over and over and over and over again. And it's only until, like, because I stopped reading, I just sort of speed read issue 50. Um, and it's right around that time, John Basima comes along and Thomas starts telling stories with the Greek mythical characters. And, oh, yes. You know what's funny, though? So, I like, you're like that and you're like, it's great. And honest to God, when Hercules, when Hercules comes in, it's really fascinating because he brings such a different energy to the book. Yes. Hercules character unlike any other character in the series up until that point. Yes. Um, and it, it's a, it's a major sea change. Yeah. To yeah. bring Hercules in. And he's also very unlike the Hercules that Lee had been writing in, in Thor up until mm-hmm. that point as well. Mm-hmm. Thomas's Hercules is much more laid back and much more fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so you, you ha- suddenly have this weird, like very strong presence who all who unlike every other fucking character in Avengers, with the possible exception of the Wasp, is not angst ridden. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. Which in itself is very important. Uh, but when he's like, and then Hercules goes back to try and you know meet up with his mythological people. Oh, I I was so bored. So bored. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, no, I am too. Because it's because it's one of those. Actually, it's one of those things that I think is interesting. The the, the To talk about it art-wise, the three things that interested me were, as Don Heck went on, uh, almost toward the end where he disappears, his work, I thought, was getting – got stronger. Um, Yes. There's there's some – I don't know if it's the inking, but there's some uh, issues towards the Don Heck drawings that are – the panels are just beautiful. There's some wonderful, wonderful – Yeah, just just some lovely stuff, really strong, and you realize kind of – Part of the problem is Stan Lee was giving him almost like too much plot and Thomas went on to do the same thing. So there's a real strong emphasis on the six panel grid that doesn't do heck any justice. And when he gets a chance to, there's the, a couple of issues right before he leaves and John Basima moves in where he's 
dropping down to four panels a page, and his work looks so much better. And and like you said, the inking gives it like really striking. And then what's amazing is when John Basima comes in. He kind of looks like he's being told to draw like Don Heck, which is a little bit of a brain breaker, you know? Basima for like the first six or seven issues does not look like Basima. Not it's at all. It's really strange. You have yeah. such a, 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 a very strong perception of what Basima and particularly Basima's Avengers looks like. Yes. And when he comes on the book at first, it looks nothing like that. You occasionally no. see it in maybe a face. Yes. yes. But you see it in a layers, face. And then layers yeah. not. And that, you know, otherwise, doesn't look like Basima, and it's, that was really surprising for me because part of me was like, "Oh, it's Thomas and Basima. This is the good stuff. This is right. going to be great." And like neither of them have hit their stride yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you really are like, "I'm, I'm surprisingly let out by this." Where's Don Heck? Bring back Donny Heck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dash and Don really kind of was had it was hitting his stride. So Basima. Th- so there's basically it's interesting because I was sort of following it. It's Basima. He's being inked by. Uh, George Tusca, weirdly enough, so it has a really weird, yeah, it looks very yeah. Don Heckish, right? You know? Yes. And then there's the issue where it's like, they have the little side blurb where it's like, you know, Smiling Stan and Rascally Roy were so knocked out by these pencils that we decided that John should ink himself, which to me struck me very much as John Basima being a, I will stab the next motherfucker that lets George yeah, Tusk exactly. ink my work. Yeah, exactly. I am going to be inking this fucking comic. And they're like, okay, we can, we can make this work. Right. Sell it, Roy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, and then it is Basima. It's 100% Basima. The problem is, is of course, it's right at the beginning of that. That Hercules goes back to Olympus storyline, and it's it's it is it's just a snoozer. It looks beautiful, but it's so much. But it's, oh, Roy, Roy Thomas. Can we just talk about the fact that Roy Thomas single uh, simultaneously manages to make the Avengers a much more interesting uh, series because his, uh, he brings in a different he brings in different characters. So Hercules comes in; he's very unlike the characters that have been there before. Thomas rescues the Wasp from when. Lee brought the wasp back. Mm-hmm. She was essentially Scarlet Witch again. Yeah. They were both like, "Oh, I love my man. My yeah. man is in danger. How can I be pretty?" And Thomas, I'm not sure if he was doing this before, but definitely as soon as he's like, "Oh, and then she's rich," mm-hmm. like the wasp becomes fun again. Yeah. yeah, the the wasp becomes this fun character who's enjoying what she's doing with her life. Yes, and that in itself is very different energy. Yeah. yeah. Um. The, I mean, you've still got some absolutely apeshit stuff going on with character work. Almost everything to do with Hawkeye, he is a crazy schizophrenic. Like, never mind Hank Pym. Hawkeye is the guy who should have been, like, people should have been looking after for having <laughs> Hawkeye, in the same page, will be like, you can't tell me what to do. Where's the leader? No, one, no one's telling me what to do. I wish someone told me what to do. I love Black Widow. Where's Black Widow? I hate her. I never want to see her again. Like but you know what? But weirdly, I'm okay with that because one of the, two of the things that Thomas does is he immediately switches the fighting between Cap and Hawkeye to Hawkeye and Goliath. Yes, yeah, he does, and and sets uh, Hawkeye and sets Cap as, as Hawkeye's idol. Yes, very quickly as well. Yeah, very very quickly to the point where someone actually calls it out in the, in the dialogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly. exactly. And, and and 
It's a, it's a change that actually I feel works because it almost feels like character development. But one of the things that's actually weird about the way that Thomas writes Hawkeye is, is that he's always a hothead and as soon as someone calls him on it, he more or less backs down. Like immediately. Yes, yeah. He, he is a hilarious, like, life most coward. Yeah, yeah and I... Tell me what to do, or you're going to tell me what to do. Okay, man, let's do it, mister. Exactly. And there's something about how contrary he is that's not... Because it's not a full-on pouty Johnny Storm sort of situation that I, I ended up weirdly liking. I So I ended up liking him. I sort of liked... I just sort of liked the fact that, that Thomas was paying a little more attention to just... Honestly, something like a story twist whenever possible like that. There's that hilarious thing where it's like they're battling the Burgermeister from space or whatever. You know, it's like Ixnay the Torrible or whatever where it's like, you know, he's got this like, you know, super robot guy who's actually a very nice little piece of Don Heck, you know, faux Kirby design. But it comes down to this thing where the Burgermeister's like – you know, the only way you can do it is kill me, and you're an Avenger, and you took an oath, so I know you won't. And of course, Black Widow is like, "Well, I'm not an Avenger," and it's like, yeah. it's it's such. I mean, but, but he does he does that again when uh, the Mad Thinker and hilariously Thunderboots. I, yes, I, I, I love Thunderboots. Thunder oh my god! Very, when I read that, I was like, I have to remember Thunderboots. I, I wish I could write. Like, there's actually a character called Thunderboots. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but is it, but the Mad Thinker is like, I've calculated this all. I've I've calculated down to the very last, you know, possibility. And then Hercules comes in. and He's like, Oh fuck! I didn't think about Hercules. Yes, because it's great. It's like. It's the human element. He keeps going like, oh, the human element. Yeah, why wasn't I thinking Gorgons? Shit! I my calculations. Like, dude, no one could have seen that one coming. Like, you know, like seriously, like no one ever comes in the door in Avengers Mansion. What were you thinking? Also, uh, Jarvis makes his first appearance in these issues. Yes, much later than I would have suspected, and it's kind of yeah, like, it's like what, 44, 45? Like, it's really late. Yeah, like 46 even, I think. All of a sudden, he's there, like, answering a phone or something, you're like, holy shit! You know? And when he answers the phone, he's kind of like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which I love. He's like, oh, they wouldn't want me to answer their phone. I, but I... I it's weird because Jarvis is so much of a, a thing. Yes. That yeah. You see him for that first panel. You're like, it's Jarvis. It's, it's a shock, like, isn't it? Jarvis wasn't around. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like once he's there, you're like, holy fuck, I've not been paying attention. But yeah, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, so Thomas makes it more interesting, but also makes it the stupidest comic. Mm. It is the comic for people who just don't care about plot anymore. Yeah. yeah. Because he does have things like, I didn't think about the mythological element, or, you know, I'm not an Avenger, or there's, uh, God, what story is it? There's one story where, like, the plot actually makes absolutely no sense. It's one of the ones where Probably Captain most America, of them. <laughs> no, but one of the ones where Captain America, like, has left the team, and they never explain why he's left the team. It's obviously something that's going on in Captain America. Yes. Uh, and the Avengers go off on a mission. <laughs> And they're losing, and they win because Captain America is suddenly there. Yes, yeah, yeah I went, love that. And you're like, wait, how did Captain America even get there? How yeah, did he know where they were, and he's just like, you forgot about me, Mister. And it's one of those. This makes no sense yeah. at yeah. all. Or when uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are kidnapped by Magneto. 
Yeah. Yes. And they send the message to get, to get the Avengers. And the Avengers are like, we have to go and get them. And then it's like, next issue with the Black Knights. And they have an entire issue with Black Knight shows up yes. and them. And they don't even show Scarlet Witcher right. Yeah. 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 And you're like, wait, what happens? And then at the end of it, they're like, okay, let's go and rescue those guys. And then the issue after that starts with them being like, I've just been shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no exactly. exactly. No, it's, it's true. There's it's so much, there's so little attention paying. Like, if you, if you read them, there's so many continuity errors and things they fuck up, like Cap's disappearing shield, people falling, like, you know, thousands of feet to their death and then popping up, like, three panels later being like, oh, thank God my boots had stuff, you know, like, yeah, just, I, I landed in snow. Yeah, yeah that, that, that actually like, might be one. Of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it, but it's amazingly lazy. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I guess lazy is one word for it. I mean, it just strikes me as like, it's just not coming together. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of, but it never comes together. Like, Thomas is, Thomas is gearing up. Every issue is better. Every storyline yes. makes more sense. Hank's got right. better as a storyline. Yeah. But, I mean, you get to 50, and it's, he's, at no point has he actually really done a great issue yet. All the pieces are there, but he's not, it's not come together. No, it hasn't. Well, the and, thing and, that's and amazing Thomas, is... All of Thomas is better than Lee. Don't get me wrong. Exactly. Still exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but it's amazing how much of the first 20, you know, the first... 15 issues under Thomas or 10 really have a lot of that same just killing time vibe that Stan Lee's book had, you know, it doesn't really seem to like, like his idea of ambition is having a subplot like the, the black widow psychotron undercover thing go for like five issues or something, which, which is, is like, another one that makes no sense. So yeah. she gets kidnapped into Pinter and Psychotron. They're like, this will drive you mad. There's no escape. And she actually says something like, it's a nightmare from which I can never escape. Yeah. yeah. And the next issue starts with her having fallen asleep in the machine. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I was trapped in a nightmare. I could never escape. I was really tired, though. So I fell asleep. Yeah, you know, you take a nap. You know, the end of that is also so fucking so, so great. So much horror. I just got tired. I just love the idea that they also, like, suddenly that entire lab gets destroyed by an underground volcano. Which, Which makes no sense, people and people are like, where did the lava come, come from? from? And, and really, Captain America's like, those idiots, they built it on an underground volcano. What a bunch of maroons. <laughs> yeah, those maroons. I think you mean reds, Jeff. See, that's a joke that could have appeared in the right Thomas thing. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, oh my god, yeah. So it, it is better than, it is better than Lee, but it's still sort of in the process of becoming. It wasn't quite the chore that the first 25 issues were, in part because I broke it out over two podcasts that, the, one of which got eaten. But, but by the time I got to the end of this 50th issue, I'm like, okay, and, and the Goliath stuff, like, he manages to make the wasp interesting he's also moves in a lot of characters in and out like the whole like the black but he's still like not getting i love that black knight issue because the black knight he like shows him as like he's a hero it's the first it's like it's this big like oh i'm taking the the mantle of the villain and i'm turning it into a hero and then he shows up to fight the avengers when he shows up to warn the avengers and it's one of the earliest incidents of the marvel the, the misunderstanding but, but it goes on comically long. Like, it's hilarious. Like, it's like seven pages, and he's like, oops, I didn't mean to melt that entire block of building. 
fuck! Oh, now I've just... I accident the wasp hit me and I fired my laser gun and I have no choice but to headbutt Hawkeye in the face. Like, I didn't mean to kill you. I know. This was an honest misunderstanding. Yeah, I, I, there's stuff that really is at that point. It was like I was reading it more because it was amusingly bad rather than anything like good. Although there were parts, like you said, like with Hercules, a little bit with Wasp. I like the way they changed up Hawkeye. But hard. isn't it really weird that by issue fifty it's still not come together? Oh, it's amazing. I would have I would have laid money that it would have come together before now. Yeah. yeah, I've read this stuff before. I honestly remembered it being better than this this far into the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it is a shocker that it's 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 honestly with Basima's art having changed and a little bit of Thomas getting a little speedier i guess you know it's funny because i think it's like issue 48 or 49 there's that crazy the other thing i love about the avengers is such the like we're getting together for a meeting and someone's like i have to say i think my pants are on fire and goliath's like shut up jen's running this meeting jen run the meeting <laughs> it is great and then and then oh, that, was, that was my favorite joke so the uh, captain america leaves the avengers he quits and they're like why he's like i just said i I was going to stick around until one of the, the original members came back to run it, and now Goliath's back. And he says that, and he leaves, right? Right. So he very clearly is like, Goliath, you're in charge. And then the next issue, you've got uh, Hawkeye going, I don't know what Captain America said, you were in charge. <laughs> and like, last issue! He really clearly said it last issue! I, I actually <laughs> love the, the sequence where Captain America leaves is hilarious, because it is a... Three panel parody of Stan Lee slash Roy Thomas storytelling because it is literally it's Captain America who again I loved for him how much of a dick he was under Stan Lee and when he leaves it's that classic like you all go to hell and then he walks off and it's that great like I had I, I had to do yeah, that so no one would yeah. pity me. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I love the so balloon. He's like, and it's, it's so great. I had to be a dick so no one would feel sorry for me. I know. Which is, here's the best part is you know that there are like comic fans out there who are, like think like that themselves. Oh, oh I know. I had yeah. to be this complete dick so that no one would sense my true emotions. Seriously, I'm starting to understand why comic book fans are a bunch of fucked up messes because if you actually read. The Avengers as some sort of guidebook for how people actually behaved, you would be a rage-filled sociopath. So it's great. Captain America walks off, so no one would pity me. And then the next page is literally Goliath pitying himself in one panel, and then it cuts to Hawkeye pitying himself in the next panel. So I'm so sorry that it's broken up. It's the trifecta of self-pity I adore. But can we just talk about how would characters in the Avengers, especially in Busy Motion, drawing it pity themselves they always look amazing doing it they're always oh, yeah. like standing in these muscle poses yes and being like nobody can see my true pain because i am thinking about my girlfriend who was defected behind the bamboo curtain i see with my fists and my uh, hips yes thrusting my chest into the air yeah 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 well that that honestly that does get better because at a certain point when basima is allowed to sort of ink himself i guess it gets to that point where when they're so Hulking, it's that awesome, like, they're reclining on a couch, oh, and then they've got the one the arm. The yeah, they're always like, up. yes! I adore <laughs> yes. that so much. 
it's like it is, he does he does a really good sulk. He, he does, really does yeah. Do yeah. A good sulk. Yeah, yeah. he does. His characters like retreating into their chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and you or, can or they've got their, their they've got their like hand underneath their nose. Yes, yes. Like, yeah. There's a couple yeah. of those. Yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. see that one where it's it's like it's it, I think it might be the panel where it's like they finally get their shit together and they're going to go after like Scarlet Witch. Or maybe they're going to go hunt down Hercules. I don't remember. I think they're going after Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And so they're flying in like some sort of super jet and the wasp has her sh- her head on like Goliath's shoulder and she's smiling. She's like even got her arm wrapped around. And he's like driving. Everyone else is serious. And she's like, ah, I love me my man. <laughs> Oh, but honestly, you get like you read this back and you totally see the like the roots of Marvel angst as it is now. Yes, yes absolutely. You know, that, that you know everyone always is churned up yeah. with yeah. inner pain. Yeah. yeah, but then you see the wasp being—I mean, let's be honest—being amazingly sh- uh, shallow. Yeah. yeah, and it's so great. Yeah. yeah, why are there not more characters like that? You know, I know. Like, it's, right. It's it's amazing that that that. Route that all the characters have taken is the angst, right? Is the shallowness? Is the nobody knows my inner pain? Yeah, yeah. and that the the opposite because the wasp and Hercules in these issues work really well because they are they are the opposite. Oh yeah, that they're they're providing an alternative. Yes, and and you need the balance. Mm-hmm. Like it, the, the team works because of that balance. When you have these characters there, the team works better. Yeah. And these days you just don't have that. Like these days, instead you have a character who will wisecrack and then have an you know nobody understands my pain. Yeah. Yes, like everyone's become Hawkeye. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Hawkeye. They, you know, they become like said. you know mm-hmm. Wolverine or Hawkeye. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's your choice. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty much. much. Well, because well, I think Hawkeye is a modified Spider-Man. Spider-Man you know, Spider-Man's kind of the ur-text of wise joke cracking. Yeah, yeah, of Marvel, but yeah, yeah. and but of the wise cracking, nobody understands my pain kind of thing. I guess, in, and to an extent, uh, the thing Ben Grimm is too in that sense. Although it plays out differently enough that it's very, thank God, it's very unique. But so many of the nobody knows my pain comes from the Spider-Man stuff. But you're absolutely right. What really sticks on a reread is seeing Hercules like go the other thing that was great was is that Hercules is much more interested in the arts you know in this one yes yes oh, like Hercules when he ends up like singing in yes coffee shop. that's so great like, like what the fuck is that you, like, you just I mean again I read these comics years ago but I didn't remember that and when you read it again you're like what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Hercules goes out to, like, shaves off his beard. First of all, Hercules clean shaven. They should have stuck with that look. Yeah. Especially with Basima in the Mooties Inn. Because yeah. I don't know if you noticed, like, Hercules and Hawkeye and the Black Knight, a couple of issues later, have exactly the same face, which is a really big chin and a weirdly odd upturned nose. Yeah. Which yeah. is spectacular. Like, I have no idea why. I love it. I wish they all had that. Like, I wish they still had those faces. Um... But, like, Hercules is like, I'm going to go out into town. And then he goes back and he's like, I've shaved my beard off. I'm in a suit. I'm going to go down to become a folk singer. That's amazing. Isn't, Isn't that great? That's so, so good. good. Yeah. yeah, you're it's just like, like, and that's it. I would read Hercules folk singer, the miniseries, like, in a heartbeat. Um, Inside Llewellyn Davis with Hercules. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. It writes his fucking cell. It really does. It really does. Oh, my God. That would be so good. Um 
you know, you're absolutely right. I'm so glad you mentioned it. It's the fucking upturned noses. That's what it is. Every time I look at fucking John Basima's Hawkeye, I'm like, why am I fucking thinking of Richie Rich? He looks like a Harvey character because they've got that same sort yeah, of like they've, they've little... got the nose. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got the yeah. and, and the Black Knight as well. Uh, what's fascinating as well is the Black Knight when he first appears, the new Black Knight. Uh, yes, looks nothing like he ends up looking. Yeah, yeah not at all. Like the, the costume's the same, but the, the behind the behind yeah. the mask, the, behind the man the mask. behind the mask, yeah. Yeah. looks nothing like he does when he comes back. Yeah, yeah. it's really really weird. Well, well and I think that's because he might have been introduced kind of quite on that weirdly. I can't imagine anyone saying to John Basima, "Could you do that a little more like Don Heck?" But I really kind of feel like maybe they did, and it was just like. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, by the time time it starts starts to turn – oh, the other thing I love and then we should start closing things down. Hercules' oaths are hilarious because they're never – they are the most overblown, absurd – again, it's that weird like Thomas who clearly has his love in – old goofy DC characters. So the the whole – my favorite one was like – by the body bouts of Bacchus was the ones that I... But he, he also had something crazy like, by the zooming scissors of Zeus, or, you know, it's just, it's absolute sheer corn, and yet... What, what is great is Hercules is, is a highlight. As soon as Hercules is introduced, he is a highlight of the series. Yeah. Um, but this Hercules is in these issues mm-hmm. is Aquaman from the Brave and the Bold cartoon. Oh, that's really funny. But he is! He's the overblown, like, mm-hmm. well-meaning, right. like, mythological oaf. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's great. He's great for that. He's mm-hmm. really, really good for that. And he's, he's a breath of fresh air as soon as he appears. Yeah. yeah. But he's not the Hercules that Hercules became. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's true. true. It's, it's very different from the Hercules that became. Uh, it's, it's fascinating looking at Quicksilver because Quicksilver, Quicksilver only towards the end of these issues that we were reading. Oh, certain turns the Quicksilver we know today as well. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, and that, that's such a left turn as well. Out of nowhere, Quicksilver's yeah. like, those, these humans hate us. Out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Frankly, Frankly, for the majority of his issues, he basically is the quiet, rational one, which is a really yeah. weird approach. And I kind of liked it. I mean, there, obviously, there's no real where to go with it. I mean, they had the hardest time. With that like, stuff. They, had, they had nowhere, like, they didn't have to go anywhere with it. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Everyone else in the Avengers is a hothead. Even Cap is a hothead. Exactly. So having the rational one in there yeah. made a lot of sense. Yes. Having exactly. a guy who's in, who's in there who's just like, you guys should stop fighting and fucking grow up. Yeah. yeah, makes a lot of sense, and and I think it could be that Thomas just like couldn't get his head around that being a good idea, right? And maybe it's maybe the readers didn't like it. Maybe the, maybe he was like, well, the re- you know the readers prefer these bigger personalities. It could which be, is, you know, could I could be. totally see happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they, they didn't have to change Quicksilver. And honestly, like when they change him into, I am suspicious of these humans because they hate us. He's much less interesting to me. By but, far. By far. But, but, but it could know, well be I could because... Totally see, I could totally see, like, there's a reason for it, and they're getting mail, and it's like, Quicksilver's are nothing compared with Hawkeye, you know? Right. right. No, no I, I totally get it. And obviously, it is the... I mean, it is the Quicksilver that we've been stuck with for, like, 40-some-odd years since. So, clearly, they thought it worked. Damn you, Roy Thomas. No! Well, so, on that merry note... 
wishing Tori Thomas in hell. <laughs> not Mary Rose. No. <laughs> Maybe that's how we'll end with yes, listeners. What do you think? Oh, see, there we go. It is the it is the cosmic be all end all podcast. Just the the no cast meets the yes cast. It's oh my like, god! It's because a Kirby when you said thing. The cosmic be all end all. Yeah, I was like, there's got to be quotations between like be all and end all. Right? Exactly, exactly. Oh my god, that's what we should do. That would be great. Is like do a podcast and do the intro Kirby style, and we'll set some sort of like reverb echo or something. That would be the best. <laughs> Wow, you're setting yourself up for a lot of. Time. I know. I'm like, I'll never do that. So have fun, everyone. Idea. It's lots more work for me. I'm just surprised because normally you come up with those ideas. You've got such an abundance of amazing labor-making ideas. Yeah, they're great, but they're always like. I've tried to. I know. I know. You do. I appreciate it. When 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 we are talking off podcast, I'm going to blow your mind with something, Jeff. Blow your mind with something. Well, well there, there we go, go ladies and gentlemen. It's not even my suggestion. Really? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, on, on that uh, cliffhanger, which you guys won't get resolution for for some time, but you may one day get resolution for, that's how much of a mind-blowing idea it's going to be. <laughs> Bye! It's practically a Roy Thomas Avengers issue in itself, Graham. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.